Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. And it's not PJ Coogan with you today. It's Deirdre O'Shaughnessy. PJ is off on his holidays. He finally got a bit of good weather. Unlucky me in West Clare in the rain last week. But uh, PJ got the sunshine. He's away for the next couple of weeks. So I'll be here in the chair. You can call the show on 1850 715 996. Or you can text or WhatsApp 083 96 Or tweet us, of course, at OpinionLine96. Coming up this morning, I'll be talking to cervical check campaigner Vicky Phelan on the death of her friend Ruth Morrissey and Ruth's legacy. We'll be talking about COVID and the workplace. What should your employer be doing to protect you and what recourse do you have if you don't feel that you have been protected? Magazine Road residents win their battle and also, this one had me baffled as well, what is the Free Britney campaign all about? This hashtag has been going around and uh, read into it there over the weekend and quite an interesting story, so stay tuned for that. If you have anything else you'd like us to talk about or anything that's on your mind, give us a call 1850-715-996 and we would love to talk to you. First, this morning, I want to talk to Katrina Toomey from Penny Dinners. Um, there was a very sad death in the city's homeless community. People would have known this person very, very well. Um, Katrina, tell me about your friend and first of all I'm very sorry Thanks um, Okay uh, I suppose this is rather a, a difficult one in that um, he, he was with us a very long time it, it just started the hospital rang us um, to say that you know about nearly two years ago to say could we look after this man that they were leaving him out and they were worried about him because he had very bad health mm-hmm. and a lot of issues going on so we said um we would we take him in, and we'd look after him. And uh, it was only supposed to be, you know, for a couple of days while people were trying to sort out things for him. But it, it didn't happen like that. So we had him more or less right up to the end. In the last couple of weeks of his life, he was very tired, weary with his journey, and his medication was quite strong. A lot of medication that he needed, and. Um, he was just tired, tired of his illness, I suppose. And he was originally from Lithuania, uh, Katrina, Arunas was his yeah. name, but he became very well known among the people that frequent Penny Dinners. He was he was one of your best volunteers. Oh, sure, he was practically, you know, he was what he was, yeah, he was there every day. And um, everybody got to know him and he was a very, very hard worker. He also had a job in the bakery 
and they would say the exact same thing. They were the best bosses anybody could wish for. They understood when he was sick and um, they had no problem giving him time off and stuff like that and would welcome him back with open arms. And um, the whole family there, you know, it's Doreen's Bakery, they were absolutely outstanding to him. That's brilliant to hear because we, we only ever hear the bad stories, I suppose, Katrina, yeah. but he had he had, he was being well looked after in, insofar as that he was possible. He was very, very well looked after. And again, in the last couple of weeks, you know, with talking with him, we knew how... Oh, it's very hard to find the right word for him, but we knew how upset and tired he was by all of us. Yeah. And he just wanted... Um, he wanted some sort of freedom. It's very difficult for you, Katrina. This happens so frequently that you lose people from, I suppose, from the Penny Dinner's family, either yeah. clients or volunteers or some people who might be both. Yeah. How do you cope with this constant loss? Do you know, it hurts and I suppose a lot of people think that, um, do you know, that we're just Penny Dinner's. We're like walking into a store in the morning and buying something. That's what we do. But it's not. We feel it too. And we feel this one really bad. 2020 has been a hard year for all of us, you know, and I suppose for me in particular, um, you know, with regard to my family and stuff, but um, uh, I don't know, it's just knocked us all for six. Anytime anybody dies, you know, um, in the in the homeless community, um, it, it hurts because homeless and loneliness go hand in hand, you know, as well. And, yeah. um, it, it's an awful kind of a lonely death to have. Luckily for Rumus, you know, his loneliness might have been missing the family. He doesn't have family. But, you know, um, with his age, like he was in his mid-50s, and I suppose with his age, the tiredness just set in mm. and stuff, you know. So, yeah. Okay. It, it's, it's so hard to describe, and I tell you, all the volunteers are really heartbroken because they all liked him because he was a Trojan worker. And he would like he would do all the hampers for some penny dinners. And if we went out and said we needed one hamper or a hundred hampers, when we come back, they'd be ready. There was never an issue. He he did all the stock taking, did all the covers, and everything was perfect. You could ask him for the most, you know, unusual thing, and he would know where it is. Now his English was atrocious, but we we all got by, and we used to laugh at him. And sometimes, like there'd be mistakes and and things like that. But he. Everybody had great time from, you know, and um, it's interesting you say that about his English, Katrina, because one of the things that people will say when they call the show um, is, "Oh, you never see foreign nationals on the streets." That's not true, is it? Oh, that's not true. Oh God, no! And a lot of them did come here with their hopes and dreams, and none of them would have had all those going for them for a while. And then when jobs folded, they lost their jobs and found it hard to get um, another job. Mm. and then would lose their accommodation and end up on the streets themselves. So it's a vicious circle for them too, just as much as what it is for our own mm. community. And I think, you know, amongst the homeless community, they all have regard for each other and they all look out for each other. Yes, there are issues that go on between them and they can be, you know, um, hard days for a lot of them, that, you know, but they still do look out for each other because we've always seen that and noticed that they do look out for each other. And as far as you know, Katrina, he doesn't have any family at home in Lithuania, did he? No, no, his his brother died there not so long ago. So, so he'll be buried here. Actually, we're going to we're going to arrange something, you know. And 
what we're going to do is um, <clears throat> we, we're going to have a garden of remembrance in our um, new building and we do have the remains of some people like their ashes and they'll be put in there and we'll be putting rumours in there as well you know because we think like that then they'll always be remembered and probably remember more than us because we probably have a grave to go to like we have a home to go to yeah. thankfully and um but I, I think that'll be just, um, and he would love that, like, to be amongst, I suppose, what he would call his own, because, you know, they all liked him. Like, you know, he, he had a motor, not a bike, motorbike, he had a pushbike, and he used to give the best of him with his pushbike mm-hmm. when they were doing the knife run. And he came out in the knife run with us in the pen a few times as well. So, yeah. you know. Katrina, thanks for for speaking to us this morning. I'm really sorry for your loss. As I said, I know you've had a lot of loss this year and um, yeah. I think it's important maybe that we don't forget the homelessness is still there despite COVID and despite do, the worries you know everyone what? has. If there's anything the government do, so many people are suffering for various different reasons. We have homelessness, we have mental health, there's suicide and a huge amount of families are affected by all of these. They're hurt, they're torn apart. We, we need the government to recognise that these are people that are hurting we're hurting today and we're hurting every day mm. in Penny Dinners, as well as having the great things that are happening to us, you know, inside with people looking after us to, to keep us going to, so that we can be of service to everybody else. But the amount of hardship that we see amongst people with homes and without homes, we could, you know, we could be here all day and they could be mm. telling the stories one mm. after the other, but it's not about that. We just do need our government now. And to be clear on this COVID-19 thing, thing as well because that's hurting you like people are not when they come to the door like for something to eat they're asking us did you hear anything what should we do what shouldn't we do yeah and we don't have the answers either because you pick up the paper one minute and and you listen to the news and you 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 know hear it on the um, the radio like it's one thing one minute another thing another minute and even though it sounds as if it's clear to a lot of people who don't who are fearful, they can't really get an understanding of it and it makes them more fearful. Mm. And, you know, we do get all the questions and you're there and you're trying to relate their fears and they come knocking and saying, have you, have you a mask or have you some sanitizer or have you anything or what should I do? Should I stay in? Should I come out? Should I go mm. shopping? Should I go for my pension? Should I go for my payment? Should I, you know, they're genuinely scared and people yeah. that were working that are of a certain age are very fearful about being back in their yes. jobs as well. Yeah, and we'll be talking about that actually a bit later. Um, in relation to the, the government, I suppose, Katrina, I don't think we've been talking to you since Michal Martin became Taoiseach. Would no. you have anything that you would like to say to the new government? Would you have any more faith that they will address the, the situation any better than the old one? It has to be addressed. And because of, you know, the long delay in electing, you know, getting a government in, in, you know, everybody mm. is speculating about this, but everybody is watching as well and everybody is hoping, you know, nobody is against the government as long as they're doing the job, you know, and they will find the support out there because the Irish people and all our new <coughs> people that are here with us, they all want, you know, to get on with their lives and have a nice life, have a happy life and have a peaceful life, but they don't want to be short of food, they don't want to be not able to pay their bills. So, mm. like, everybody's in agreement where they want to go. And we just need the government to lead everybody there now. And homes, homes, homes. Look, if people are homeless and they have issues going on, what are we looking at? Treatment centres. For the love of God, we need them. Yeah. We need them really badly. And we need our mental health. We need resources ploughed into them big, big, big time. They're 
overstretched the people that are rolling out these services. You know, mm. like take a look at the hospitals, look what they did, did and look at all our frontline services. I think everybody saw what a frontline service was for during this pandemic. And I think now everybody wants to protect all these frontline services because if 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 this if we have a second wave, we will need them so badly. So I think everybody is behind everybody in wanting to go forward and mm. wanting to fix the country and to do it whereby everybody is included in it, nobody is left behind and to do it in a way that is sensitive to all because a lot of people have fierce issues going on and they need us help, they need us to be helping them. Yeah. You know, if people didn't need us, we wouldn't be here. And the same with if people didn't need mental health services, they wouldn't be there. Yeah. And if people didn't need any other service, like, you know, like we've lost Ruth Morris, you know, like, you know, and she put mm-hmm. up some hell of a fight, like for some, you know, and, and, and Hopefully that will help other women, but today, you know, it's, her family is broken, you know, and these are because of things that, that probably shouldn't have happened at all at yeah. all. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, Katrina, thank yeah. you for the time and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon and I'm very sorry okay. again for your loss. Okay. It's um it's been a very difficult time for course homeless community, particularly the last uh, the last year or so. There's just been so many deaths and some of them very, very um particularly tragic and particularly awful. Um if you've anything you want to say on that or anything else this morning, 1850 is the number to call or you can text or WhatsApp the show on 083 Back in a moment with the residents of Magazine Road who have won their legal case. This is Court's Gold Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 On Court's 96FM. So you've heard over the past few weeks residents of Magazine Road speaking to us on the show about various incidents that have gone on there since, I suppose, the beginning of the summer. Well, they were in court last week against um, the landlord of the house that they particularly had an issue with, with Mr. Faulkner O'Reilly, and they won their case. Catherine Clancy, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, Catherine. I think you must be pretty good today as well. We are. We're very happy, um, I suppose, happy with the outcome and relieved that the court case is all over as well, you know. Um, it's been a very stressful time for the last, I suppose, the 28th of May for the residents of the area. And I suppose, first of all, just to say a big thank you to Sadio Manny and Maureen O'Callaghan, the two residents that took the court case. You know, the Resident Association couldn't take the cases, individuals had to take it. Mm. So they've been very brave and they had huge courage in taking those cases, but they had suffered for many, many years, um, you know, in houses that were owned by Mr. Faulkner already. And I suppose, Catherine, this is one case, and now we know um, particularly that landlords can evict tenants for antisocial mm-hmm. behaviour mm-hmm. despite the mm-hmm. COVID restrictions on evictions. Yes. That's only to do with financial um, the people who don't have the means to pay because they've lost their jobs or whatever that is. Um, yeah. So this is quite a big ruling in terms of other landlords as well, isn't it? Yes. Well, I suppose, first of all, we were very happy to hear Judge Olin Kelleher clearly say that, you know, because it was brought up um, by Mr. Faulkner O'Reilly's team, you know, about not being able to evict people because of the COVID-19. And he said he was glad that matter was raised because his understanding of the legislation is that it's only on financial circumstances that people can't be evicted under COVID-19. Nuisance, antisocial behaviour, damage to property, all the other reasons for eviction still stand. Okay. And so, to your knowledge, are those residents gone? Are those um, tenants gone now? 
I don't know whether the what we were told on Friday in court is that they were given notice to quit breast. But the main thing and the biggest thing that we, um, you know, welcome out of the court case on Friday was an order on the property. And that was an order like uh, to reduce uh, noise. And the, the significance of that then, I suppose, is that, you know, if there is any noise emanating from that pro- that property, you know, and if there, if there is a breach of the order, well, then we can go back into a court and um, the landlord Mr. Faulkner O'Reilly uh, could face either a thousand euro fine or twelve months in jail. Wow. Okay. The fine, yeah. I would imagine, isn't much of a much of a threat. Well, the fine isn't much because some of those houses, like you know, have an income of around eighty thousand a year, like yeah. you know, and I suppose that's what frustrated us as ten as uh, residents living here. You know, despite the massive income out of those properties, that like you know, that people wouldn't uh, take care of that business mm. and run it in, 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 a, in, a, in a, I suppose, in a manner that respects the residents of, of the community as well. Like, And I thought, from that as well, I suppose, dear, to what we said is that, um, you know, we're looking on Cork City Council now at this stage in the interest in keeping this a sustainable community around the uh, environment of UCC, that there needs to be a planning law. If you have a pro- house in the morning that was always a residential property and now it's been turned into a business, the business of letting to students, it should require a planning legislation to change the use of that property. If you were to change it into any other business, be a cafe, a residence, a doctor's surgery, mm. if we need planning. The law is outdated and, you know, I say, in the interest of sustaining this community, we have uh, I think two houses around the area you now for sale at the moment and what we would really love to see is families coming back into, the, into those houses. You know, we have a very established community here. Schools, hospitals, um, you know, mm. uh, close to the city centre for Charles Park, the leaf fields, the lock, you know, everything is here. And we've all lived very happily here up to the last, I suppose, seven or eight weeks ago. So um, what happened to us seven weeks ago was wrong. And we really, really welcome, I suppose, uh, the judgment of Owen Keller. And clearly the message going out to other landlords as well, that as residents, you know, that if need be, we will go back into court mm. or we will take whatever measures are necessary to get the enjoyment. What um, Judge Owen Keller herself very, very clearly, he said it Friday week. And he said it again, like, you know, that he um, accepted the evidence of the residents and that he, you know, that we were entitled to enjoyment of our homes. He also said, like, you know, those people that work in the health services, you know, staff from the bonds and COH that live in our area, that they were mm. entitled to the enjoyment of the homes. And also, which was very interesting, he mentioned the patients in the, in the bonds. We've had calls yeah. to that effect. Yeah. That's what I was just going yeah. to say. We, we've had yeah. calls from patients at the bonds who were there during yeah. um, rag week mm-hmm. or during mm-hmm. orientation yeah. week and they've had yeah. an awful time. Quick, yeah. qu- Catherine, while, yeah. I, while I have you, I mean, had, having the recourse to go back to court, you know, if this mm-hmm. isn't followed through, that's good. But mm-hmm. in terms of the wider impact of a case like this for, say, other people who are listening in other areas of the city that might oh, be dealing yeah. with similar problems, mm. do you have have to go to court now to vindicate your rights again? You, well, you can go to the PRTB, you know, but the PRTB we find is very, very slow, mm. and that's the reason that we went into actually into court. But we went in under. Uh, the um, 1994 noise and uh, nuisance kind. It's a noise, you know, it's particularly to do with noise, mm. just a small piece of legislation. You can actually take this case yourself, I think, you know, but we did engage um, Mr. David McCoy's solicitors and we found them. You know, he was hugely helpful to us. I think it was kind of a test case, God, you know, if it's used much, you know. Yeah. So um, I think it encouraged other um, other residents and I did have calls from um, a councillor in Limerick who uh, represents an area out near LIT and mm. he was interested, you know, how we got on and maybe taking a case as well. Yeah. So I think... And so what kind of financial well, resources do you need to take a case like that? Well, I suppose in our case, we're, um, the, Mr O'Reilly's team have indicated that they will be paying costs 
but we haven't got our bill yet. But you will be talking because we had a number of visits. Usually it's only one visit to court, but our first judge wasn't able to hear the case. Then Mr Faulkner O'Reilly's team had a uh, next date cancelled. So when we got in there last Friday, or two, we had four visits because then when we got there on the Friday week, the judge uh, gave Mr O'Reilly a week to put his house in order. So yeah. you could be talking over a thousand euro probably, you know, to take the case. Yeah, but we'll say we haven't got a bill yet. Got a thousand euros sounds like a very, um, <coughs> a very minor estimate of legal fees. In well, my, it, certainly well, my own experience. Well, and, and, yeah, it's very, it's, yeah, you know, it's, as I say, but in our case, we did have to four trips, but usually probably would just take one trip to uh, visiting the court, like, yeah. you know. But for us, you know, even if we had to do, you know, a collection around the area. There's it, enough it, of you work, together in it no to price, do it. There's no price on a mm. night's sleep. No yeah, price absolutely. on a night's sleep. And so, in terms yeah. then of the bylaws um, about yeah. the change of use, I think that's a really interesting one because that's obviously yes. something that's been discussed worldwide actually because of Airbnb. Um, again, yes. your issue particularly is the students, but in other city locations and probably in, in some change scenic views. locations. I think like a resident, yeah. any residential property that is going for change of use um, should be a planning issue. And also I suppose what we're looking for as well is the licensing of landlords. And have you, you know, got a councillor ready to put that forward for you? Well, what we are doing, we're going to be writing out to all our local councillors. We our local councillors were very supportive when we held the vigil there in the June weekend, like you know, but we will be writing to all councillors. But I think um the it might need legislation at national mm. level to be changed. So we'll be uh, writing to our local representatives and uh, the Minister for the Environment or the relevant ministers for that change and maybe organising hoping to get a meeting with the minister. You know, I think it's it's urgent and um you know it's just I suppose you know the way things have changed yeah. that in twenty twenty a lot of the legislation isn't matching even the fine for the landlord of a thousand euro is yeah. is pittance compared to the income from the property mm. like you know yeah. and I suppose what we want as well is say the licensing of all landlords if you were to um, run a kennel in the morning to uh, mind dogs you'd have to get a license yeah. you can let out a property and have and not be you know, a license to do so and also an NCT type um, test for you know examination of properties before they are let in the interest of uh, those that are going in there primarily but also on the upkeep for the residents of the area mm. we had houses it's hard to believe this now but we had houses during this COVID-19 that were re-let and were not cleaned in between Oh, I believe it. I've been in some of those houses. Up oh, my goodness. Back in I my mean, own student days. I know, I know. But I mean, I mean but, but that doesn't affect the money that's been paid. No, it doesn't. I mean, to be going into a house like that, I we saw an agreement now for um, a, a, a student for last year for a room. That's just one room, and some of these houses have ten, you know, ten, uh, yeah. ten rooms in them, and these were just ordinary family homes before that. Seven thousand six hundred, and that's only for the student. So that's around eighty thousand, not in mind the summer lets. And for any parent, I think parents should be more, you know, assertive in when they're actually agreeing to pay as well. Like the conditions are yeah, horrific for the amount yeah. of money that's been paid in many of the houses. Now we have houses around here, and I have to keep saying this. There are landlords around here. We have lived and shared our community with rented properties for forever since I suppose since UCC was built years yeah. ago in this community with it. But um and there are compliant landlords and there are landlords and there are students who respect the community, like, you know. And um but they weren't and there were some landlords who never opened up their properties and won't open up their properties until September and whenever the colleges reopen, like, mm. you know. But for the landlords who ignored the COVID nineteen legislation, the the regulations and, you know, about not leaving people into the houses who've come only for essential services, ignored all those. We had one landlord on Saturday, he actually came and emptied his house. We had been on to him for a number of weeks. Eventually, he came and emptied it. One of the people that came out of that house could have walked home. 
they were so near the next parish you know and their parents had dropped them here like you know they knew what they were dropping here only to party they weren't Mm -hmm. working it was wrong what was done to us so as I say we've uh, the good thing I suppose that has come out which which is really really positive we always knew some of our neighbours we have a huge community now. We're very, very much connected. Mm. We are, you know, we are, um, you know, logging any calls that we make to landlords, any lo- calls we make to Angarda Shiakana, and, you know, as in need, if we need to take further action, that we have everything, uh, you know, and all the boxes ticked because we're not going to put up with it anymore. We have got our community back. We had one of the most peaceful weekends here in weeks, in weeks, and we had what was a normal community. Now, that took, I suppose, the court case, <clears throat> but also, I think, was clearly sending a message out to other landlords that, like, you know, that we as a community, we stood up now and we're going to stay standing up and we have our community back. Okay, and Catherine Clancy. Yeah, you see. Thank you very listen, much for that. And listen, just, I want to say as well to yourselves, mm. thank you, because the local radio stations did play a big part and continue to play a big part in getting our concerns out there, but also getting the message out to those that we want to hear it also. Okay. Thank you. Thank we you really very appreciate much. appreciate it. Okay. Well done. Bye-bye. 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 Enjoy the peace and quiet up there if you're in Magazine Road or anywhere surrounding. Um, hopefully it'll be like that for a little while. Um, speaking of students and speaking of college and Leaving Cert and all of that, there seems to be more fuss with the Leaving Cert again. I kind of, if you're not directly involved in this, it's one of these things that seems to be rumbling along in the background. And uh, I hadn't been aware of this, but from today at 12 o'clock, Leaving Cert students are required again to go to the portal at gov.ie forward slash Leaving Certificate, log in and confirm that you wish to receive your calculated grades results. Now, I thought all that had been done already, but apparently not. And Matthew Ryan from the um, Secondary School Students Union is on the line. I will talk to him in just a moment if you can hang on for that. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Court's 96FM. Matthew Ryan is the welfare officer with the ISSU. Good morning, Matthew. Morning, Deirdre. Matthew, I didn't, I wasn't even aware that Leaving Cert students had another hoop to jump through. Can you just explain what has happened to date and what they have to do next? Okay, so I'll start with the portal that's opening again. So basically, the portal opened beforehand, but that was just to fill in the levels and accept the levels that you're doing, so if you're doing higher ordinary levels. Mm-hmm. And now they have to open it up to say, yes, I want to receive predicted grading and I want that to be my Leaving Cert results. So that's why the portal is opening a second time to confirm that they want the predicted grades. Um, In terms of what's happened to date, obviously, like you said, I'm working with ISSU, who represent students in second-level schools all over the country, our members, um, and I'm the welfare officer, so my main concern would be kind of students' welfare, you know, their mental health and their physical health and Mm. things like that. So, obviously, this whole situation is very stressful for students. It's very confusing. There's a lot of anxiety and, you know, we were disappointed that the ISSU was not consulted in this decision because it's, it's, it's a big decision to push the results out as far as they have been. Yeah, um, the 7th of September is very late for college yeah, starts and it that, is. isn't it? It's, it's, it's a bit difficult for students and obviously it's leading to a lot of stress. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's some things of like finding accommodation on time and finding, you know, orientation weeks that are starting on the 7th or 8th of September, you know. So yeah. it, it is difficult for students to wrap their heads around because it, it's something that they thought was almost behind them, you know, it was almost sorted. And obviously, you know, the ISSU, we did so much work on this last year seeking clarity and stuff. And we thought that we were almost there. You know, we thought students had got the clarity they needed, but yeah. 
you know, we are we were disappointed that there wasn't proper communication and that the stakeholders in the education system weren't consulted mm. because it's 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 important that stakeholders give their opinion and let the department know what their members are thinking because obviously this is something that needs to be talked through and it needed to be made, made sure that it wasn't affecting students too too largely. Yeah, you know? I mean, and I know the universities have already come out and said it doesn't suit them at all for the results to be that late because, again, like you're saying, their orientation weeks are normally taking place that week or the week after. Um, a lot of them, I think, still, Matthew, have not fully committed to, to whether they're actually bringing people on campus again, have they? That's another one of the concerns. It's, you see over in the UK and things, a lot of campuses have come out and said that their lectures are online all year. Mm. So that's another one of those uncertainties that students are seeking, or that we will be seeking clarity for, is that we, we just don't know if campuses are going to be open, which again, it's like guesswork for students. Do they put the deposit in for the accommodation? Is the accommodation, there's talks of campuses being open some days and then you're home for the other days, mm. you're in for a week, home for three weeks, things like that. So... I don't know how students can manage booking accommodation when they don't know if they need accommodation, especially ones who are studying, say, living in Cork and want to study in UL or something. That's Testing not one, an two. easy commute. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult one. What's what's your own, um, well, I suppose plans might be too certain a term, but what did you hope to study? Um, I'm hoping to kind of probably go into UCC to study biological earth environmental sciences. Okay. Um, hopefully, but and you're from Cork, so you wouldn't be going too far yeah, from home. Yeah, no, I'm from Cork, so it's it, see again. It's it, some students are better off than others because they're closest to colleges, and yeah. it's less special for them. But then for the ones, especially the ones who wanted to go abroad or something, like we we were lucky that the department was able to reach an agreement with UCAS because that's important for people going abroad to you know the UK and Northern mm. Ireland. Mm. But again, it's that uncertainty of will they be going or. Should they be seeking accommodation? Should they be putting in the deposit? And they're all the questions that I guess you would be asking the minister to provide clarity for students on because they need it. Yeah. And have you had any dealings with the minister? We were contacted by her. We have a meeting on Tuesday with her to discuss these things with her and, you know, try and seek that bit of clarity that students need. And, like, ISU's main goal um, is to defend student voice and to fight and advocate for students for the best possible outcome for students mm. because that's our job and obviously like I said we were disappointed that the minister didn't consult with us because you know we advocated for months and months back with the other leaving cert situation back when it was being moved to predictive grading and we advocated for months to get at the table and we finally were and they were communicating with us effectively and then all of a sudden we're not at the table again so it is a confusing kind of situation for us too but like I said, we will be doing everything we can to advocate for students and to make sure that they get the best outcome that they need. Yeah, like obviously, Matthew, you're you're just coming out of secondary school. You haven't been to college. You don't know what the college experience is like. But it's safe to say it's going to be very different from your for your cohort than it has been for others. Yeah, and especially like even like again from a welfare point of view, like the bonding and mm. stuff that you do in your orientation week is so vital to making sure that you settle into college properly and making sure that. You know, you make those friends and those cliques that are there to support you through college. And that's going to be even more important this year because students are going to need people to lean on and they're going to need support. So if they can't connect with people, because, you know, college is where so many people find their lifelong friends, you know. Mm, absolutely. So it, it, it will be a really challenging time for students. And I think that that's something that can't be overlooked. And I think if it is, it will be a massive letdown because students need those supports and they need friends that they can lean on. Not even to talk to, just to spend time with and you know, relax, that kind of thing. That's just as important as 
you know, the college itself. Yeah, it's it's a large part of it, definitely. Matthew, best of luck with it. Thank you for that. And um, from 12 o'clock today, if you have a Leaving Cert in the house, they need to log on to the portal at gov.ie forward slash Leaving Certificate. Log in and confirm that they wish to receive their calculated grades or results. It really is a mess. And I have to say, speaking to teachers, they don't seem to know anything more about it than the students do. They're hearing everything in the media as well. Um, somebody in the department needs to kind of, I don't know, to sit down and make some decisions. Kev says, think about it, get your results, accept your course, sort housing, move in the space of a week or two. Yeah, Kev, it's nuts. I mean, I remember um, and the housing shortage was nothing like what it is now when I was in college, but there was some bit of one because it was during the Celtic Tiger. Um, we had our accommodation booked from April, you know, for September. And if you had been waiting till June or July, it would have been gone. Um, at this rate, how are they going to find anything? I'd say it'd be interesting to see how many more cars are on the road because students will be driving the length and breadth of the country to college rather than living in a community um, and getting to know other students. It's going to be very, very different for them and very difficult. Um, I'd love to know if you're a parent, what you think of it, particularly if you've had kids who've done this before and what it's like now for a younger one trying to do it in this weird environment that we're in. Um, Noreen Blackrock texts the show 0833969696. Well done to those residents, that lady, what a great speaker. Best of luck to you all from Noreen. And a caller says in relation to Arunas, who we discussed the very sad death of Arunas this morning with Katrina Toomey, we have three senior politicians in Cork and I think that it is a crying shame that not one of them would intervene immediately with the homeless situation in Cork and for all the people vulnerable to homelessness too. Um, yeah, I appreciate your sentiment, but I suppose what do, what would they do in, on an immediate basis? Um, um, you know what? Where would you start? It's it's it tends to be very complicated. Arunas that the, uh, Katrina was discussing had a lot of medical conditions, which were were a large part of why he was homeless. I gather, um, and people tend to be very complex. But I'd be interested to hear what your what your ideas would be for what they should do. In a few minutes, we'll be talking to Richard Grogan, who is an employment lawyer, about masks, wearing masks at work. Um, are you wearing one at work? Do you have hand sanitizer stations? Have you got screens up? Are you doing social distancing? Are people still uh, working from home? I'd love to know what you are doing um, versus kind of what other people are doing. Seems to be a huge variance of some offices having not returned at all. Some places having returned fully, but with measures in place. And I wonder, are there some that haven't put any measures in place? I'm sure, I'm sure there are some. Kev says, in relation to the Leaving Cert, my son is in this boat. He's lucky he can move in with his sister in Limerick if he gets accepted in UL. If not, then I've no idea what we're going to do. This is the thing, you know, you still have all the vagaries of CAO choices and of all the um, points and everything. And I'd say the points are going to be all over the place this year because people will have made really weird choices based on the pandemic. It's not going to be predictable in the normal way. Mag says the departments have made an absolute shambles of this from the get-go. I feel so sorry for this year's Leaving Cert students. I get we are living in strange times, but this could have been handled so much better. Yeah, Mags, you're like they've delayed every decision to the point where they just stress people out. I mean, if they had decided things kind of, you know, decisively and just ran with them from the very beginning, I think it would have been a bit different, even in relation to things like their predicted grades and um, you know, whether or not they were going to have real exams and all of that. And I think the the teachers seem to be getting the blame for this and I don't think it's the teachers causing the problems. I think it's it's decision makers, you know. Um, like the teachers have the input but they're not the ones deciding when things reopen. In relation to Magazine Road, Pat says, thank you opinion line from people of the lock. It was both frightening and disgusting over the June weekend. Hundreds sent a day and night. No COVID rules applied in Cork. Well, interestingly, that brings me to masks because I've just had a text from Emma who said um, she was at the doctor this morning with her kids and the receptionist and the doctor were not wearing masks. That's, that's just ridiculous. Um, 
I really don't understand why that would be the case. Richard Rogan is an employment lawyer. Good morning, Richard. Good morning to you. Richard, is, does it beg your belief that staff in a doctor's surgery would not be wearing masks at a time like this? I think it does. I mean, they're going to be in touch with an awful lot of people coming in and out. The idea that a doctor or somebody in the doctor's surgery wouldn't be wearing a mask uh, is just incredible. Um, You know, it's not the the message that should be sent out by health professionals. They're the ones who should be uh, showing the the standard and saying, look, this is what people should be doing. I, I just can't understand it. I spoke to somebody over the weekend, Richard, in terms of um, employment and employees. I spoke to someone at the weekend who said they had heard already of employees going to solicitors looking to know what their rights were in relation to having been exposed to or having contracted COVID at work. Do you anticipate a lot of of cases in that vein? Uh, I think there will be. There's going to be an awful lot in that vein. The issue that's going to be for every solicitor is uh, saying to a client, well, how can you show that you caught it in the workplace? Mm. I mean, so somebody goes to, to work, um, unless they're effectively cocooning at home, getting into a car, driving, getting out and walking straight into the workplace, the answer on it is it's going to be an extremely difficult one to show. Now, there will be ones that arise where somebody uh, with a, is in a factory situation, somebody gets COVID there and there is a, a cluster arises there in that factory, that's going to be a a lot easier. But I think just somebody, unless there's a cluster situation, I think it's going to be very difficult for employees to prove that they got COVID uh, Mm. in the workplace. And then again, remember, you know, 85% of this is just going to be like an ordinary flu. Mm. I mean, mean, it's very serious for some, but, you know, people catch flu in offices as well. So if somebody's out for 21 days, you know, they get a, a, a mild version of it, and they're out, and then they have to self-isolate for another 14 days, they're going to get very little compensation. Mm. You know, it's, so, I mean, they're, they're, it really depends. I think it's going to be the very serious cases are the ones that are going to end up in solicitor's offices. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing now, I suppose, one of the things is we did think that about the flu at the beginning, but now we're seeing this post-viral post, post um, viral syndrome that people seem to be getting, that you're having people who are bedridden pretty much after it. I, I know somebody personally who's, who's kind of been bedridden for about three months now, um, who, you know, and they're saying internationally that they're seeing a lot of symptoms now in people who had it maybe in March, April, that are long-term, you know, that are going to be chronic illnesses basically for them, that there are organ issues or there are neurological issues um, that we don't really fully understand yet. But if people are left with a lifelong disability out of this, you can be certain they're going to go looking for compensation, aren't they? Yeah, of course, if somebody's left with a lifelong disability, they are going to go looking for compensation. The issue is going to be back to prove where you where you contacted them. Mm. So, I mean, this may be one of the reasons why you will have uh, downloaded the app so that it'll have all your contacts on it. But I think the issue is going to be how do you prove that you've got it in the workplace? Uh, you know, equally, I can see people will be will be uh, going after uh, the, the bus company um, and the local shop and their employer. I said, yeah. well, it was one of those three places that I got it. Mm. So it, there, I, uh, it's a whole new area that... Uh, solicitors are looking at at the present time but solicitors are saying you've still got to be able to prove where 
you contacted the disease. Yeah. And that's and going to be the problem. Do you think employers are doing enough um, to prevent this happening? Obviously, most employers don't want to be sued, so they're going to, to protect themselves if they can. But is is that taking um, a kind of a solid form? I mean, I know here we've been, you know, hand sanitized to within an inch of our lives and we have screens up and we have, most people are not in the building. Um, and, you know, insofar as it can be made safe, it has been made safe. But obviously we have some shared equipment and things like that that we have to use. Um, um, but do you think every employer is taking it that seriously? I think the vast majority of employers are. And it's not a question of saying, I don't want to get sued. What employers are saying is, I don't want my business closed down. Mm. So from an employer's perspective, it just makes common sense to take the, uh, the the safety measures that are there. So, I mean, people will have that you have to be two metres apart and you have to wash your hands when you come in and you're going to have stand, hand sanitizers and you're going to clean down equipment. That's just basic sense that employers are going to do because if COVID-19 gets into a workplace, that workplace is closed. Mm. And if it closes, it may never reopen. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, if you take some, uh, you know, a business, we say in somewhere like West Cork, the last place that they want is that they're closed down. Yeah. If they're closed down, do you think anybody, once they have to 14 days, well, now it's safe to come back in, people are going to want to go back into that office or that business? Not likely. So it's good sense for an employer to take the, the precautions and no employer wants to get sued. Yeah, absolutely. In terms then of masks, I know you feel very strongly that um, they should be there should be more stringent legislation put in place around masks. Yeah, there really does. I mean, we have this wishy-washy attitude in Ireland of we're advising you to do this mm. or we're going to make rules. You, you have a rule now that you can't get on a bus without wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. But who enforces it? And the guardies say, we can't actually do anything until a complaint is made to us. Now, that's crazy stuff. We're going to have shops from today, you have to wear a mask. Now, there are no regulations, by the way, in at the present time. uh, They're going to take some time to come in place. But the issue is going to be, what happens if somebody walks into a shop and they're not wearing a mask? Who enforces it? Mm. Now, I'm not in favour of uh, shop workers having to confront a person coming in like that. No. You know, that is, that, and that should not be the position. They should simply be able to, the owner of the shop or somebody in the shop should be able to phone 999 and say, I'm in such a such a shop and there's a person here not wearing a mask. Do and you think we have the guard of resources for that? Well, well, otherwise, forget about it. I mean, you mentioned West Cork there and, uh, you know, how near is, is the nearest guard? Well, I suppose if you go to Skibbereen, there's, there's, there's a couple of main streets there and the guard station is close There's a guard station in Skibbereen, but you're, if you're out, you know, if you're out in, in, in Castle Townsend having your lunch without a mask, how long is it going to take them to get out well, there? If you're in Castle Townsend or even if you're in Roscarbury, yeah. it's going to take a, they only have a temporary station in Roscarbury. I know I'm going down, down to that part of the country uh, next, next week. Um, well, it, it's, it's got to be something like that because unless there is uh, enforcement then we're going to have a situation that they say, oh, well, most people will wear a mask. Mm. But it's not most people. If you're saying people have to wear a mask, you know, we've seen the debacle that has happened in a cork shop, which at the very start said yeah. we wanted to wear a mask. Yeah, now, vibes and scribes, yeah. Yeah, now, that was appalling. They were trying to protect not only their own staff and everybody else and the people who are coming into the shop. So you've got to have a situation where employers... Uh, where a shop owner is entitled to get support to say, this is a health and safety risk. Mm. You know, now, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, somebody coming into a shop without a mask, if you had somebody come in with a knife, you're allowed to call the guards. 
Yeah. And this this disease is a killer. Mm. And you, you have to have the supports there and it has to be enforced and it has to have fines and it has to be enforced. There and then, you're fined. Mm. And when they, people see that happening, then you will get compliance going right up. But you won't have a situation then that somebody goes into a doctor's surgery mm. and sees a doctor and the receptionist not wearing a mask. Yeah, because we had on Friday, I don't know if you're aware of that, there was an incident on an Irish rail train. Uh, Joe Seward, who's a regular caller to the show, um, spoke to PJ on Friday about seeing somebody being removed from an Irish rail train um, because they weren't wearing a mask. They had repeatedly been asked to put on one by staff and guards actually did board the train and, and remove them. So there's certainly a level of that happening because it is compulsory on public transport. But you're saying that that needs to be extended out to the, to the everywhere, really. It has to be extended out, but it has to be that the that the guards, if the guards are walking down uh, a street and they're going past a shop and they see somebody going in, they don't need to get um, a, a complaint. They should mm. be able to just walk in and say, hold on, no mask, out. And and it needs to be an on-the-spot fine. Okay. I'd love yeah. to know if people listening agree with that. Richard Grogan, employer, employment lawyer, thank you for that. Enjoy your time in West Cork. I will. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye. Um, the... Do you agree with Richard? I'd love to know what people think about that because ask you know calling the guards um, on people not wearing masks in shops in in any public place is that overkill or do you think that's the only way that people are going to do it? There was a poll in the journal this morning I'm told that says um, asked should face masks become compulsory in all public places and it was sixty three percent yes. Um, but I want to ask you: Do you think people the guards should be enforcing mask wearing? Should it be a fine? Um, should it be enforced on the spot and should you as a say a retail worker or another frontline worker dealing with the public should you be able to call the guards immediately on somebody not wearing a mask and either have them removed or have them um, forced to put on a mask um, I have to say it makes and, and I'm all for masks but it makes me a bit uncomfortable the idea of that I don't know uh, 0833969696 I have a couple of texts in about this which I will read in just a moment This is Court's Imro award-winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850 715 996 On Cork's 96FM If you haven't got there yet by the way there is still time to nominate for the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards 2020 You can go to 96FM.ie now to choose places services that are the best in Cork. There are loads and loads of categories. Hairdressers, beauty salons, bars, barbers, breakfast, coffee, takeaway, gym, restaurant, workplace, hotel, burger. Um, if you go to 96fm.ie and nominate your favourite, uh, you can maybe show them how much you appreciate them. The nominations are closing this Thursday, the 23rd of July, and the Best of Cork Awards are back for 2020 with Cork's 96fm. It's a consistency in the world gone mad, isn't it? At least you have those, even if half of them weren't open for most of the year. It would be nice for them to win some kind of an award I think um, I have quite a few texts about masks which I will get to shortly um, D says I bought a mask made of plastic because I hadn't seen my mum I put on the mask before I saw her had a slight allergic reaction to it luckily I had a disposable one in my bag just making listeners aware to choose the right mask I washed it when I got home wore it again but the irritation of the textile, textile had me sneezing and coughing um, wow D carries an EpiPen so she's quite serious allergies that's, that's a bit dangerous the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. And just when you thought 2020 couldn't get any weirder, apparently we are expecting swarms of flying ants. Cahill Nolan from UCC Weather is on the line. Hi Cahill. A very good morning. 
Carl, swarms of flying ants are not normally your department, I think. Typically, no, they wouldn't belong to the meteorological department, but following a very successful post, I think, by the Met Office last week, it seems to have ventured into the realm of meteorology over the past couple of days. So, and it's because the swarms are so big that they can be seen from space. That is the case, yes, really. So there are quite a number of swarms. They can become very large during these particular summer months. And essentially what happens is the the swarms are so large that they actually become picked up on the radar reflectivity. So if you look at a rainfall radar graph, for example, from MetAir and the Met Office, you can actually see the ants within the air as they actually show up as precipitation, even though the area where they're existing in is more than likely bone dry. Wow, so they actually thought they were clouds first when they saw them come up on the radar. That is the case, yep. So, I mean, if you were in the area and you wanted to see if it was going to rain, you checked your rainfall radar, it would have appeared as if it was raining outside, despite the fact that the sun could have been shining. Essentially, it was raining really Oh my god! Essentially rainy ants, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I don't even know where to go with this. Uh, you're, like, you're not an ant expert, obviously. You're a meteorological expert. But do they bite? Are they vicious? Uh, from what I know, not particularly vicious, no. I, there are some ants I know, certainly. Maybe black ants. <laughs> Again, as we said, this is far beyond the realm of my <laughs> normal comfort zone. That do maybe sometimes bite, but I don't think these ones are particularly vicious. Now, I could be, I could stand to be corrected on that matter. Well, the, the, the research I have in front of me tells me they're not anyway, so don't worry. We can reassure Excellent. people of that. That they might bite, but it won't be particularly painful. Um, you mightn't even feel it. Um, so they're, yeah, so basically watch out for ants. You might see quite a lot of them around the place. Um, and once the mating season is over, the queens will chew off their own wings and search for a nest to create another colony. That's nice. Um, so if, and do we know, I think Cork isn't the epicentre of it though. They're going to um, come up along the coast um, towards Donegal, Galway and Mayo. So probably we're not going to see a huge amount of it here. Cork wouldn't seem to be at the epicentre. No, certainly judging by the latest forecast, these particular swarms of ants, they only occur when we see very settled, very dry conditions with light winds, which was the case across the southeast of the UK where they were first noticed. I suppose if they do make across this far to Ireland, it would probably be along the east coast that we see them first and then transferring across the country. But even with that, the settled conditions that are favourable for such swarms of ants flying, those conditions probably will change as we go through the week, through Wednesday, and then again probably into the weekend as we see more unsettled conditions on Wednesday and over the weekend. Is the summer over, Carl? The summer, it's a little bit early to say, let's say, that the summer is going to be over. We still have what is traditionally one of the most settled months of the year in Ireland still to come in August, as well as the remainder of July. Now, in saying that, the weather at the moment is particularly broken, and that not, might not seem the case today. Certainly, there's pleasant still the sunshine across mm. the country, and that will be the case again tomorrow. However, through Wednesday, we see a change again. The westerly winds again take hold. Some dry conditions on Thursday and Friday, but maybe some mixed spells as well with cloudy periods. And then into the weekend, the conditions look like becoming more unsettled again as we continue to see that westerly flow bringing with it some patches of rain, drizzle over the weekend, and the risk of some more heavier rain through next week.
Okay, so it's oh great. Thanks for that call. Not ideal. <laughs> Not ideal, but look, it's PJ's on the Saltings this week, so <laughs> so I'll have to. Uh, I'll have. Yeah, I'm sure he'll enjoy it at home where he is. Uh, Carl, thanks very much for that. And um, so the ants, and nothing to worry about. The rain might be more of a problem for most of us. Um, I have to say though, I was in West Clare last week. Last week, and um, stay in Cork, people. That's the best advice I have for you. Uh, while West Clare is lovely, and uh, I was delighted to see family members I hadn't seen in a long time socially distanced and outside and all the rest of it um, it was extremely grey and wet for pretty much the entire week and uh, as people who follow me on Twitter might have seen I, I my, my husband is never going back there <laughs> He's just decided that I'm only torturing him because the weather is always better in Cork than wherever we go elsewhere in Ireland. Um, so yeah, just go to West Cork. The weather's going to be better there. Um, stay put in the county and you can avoid avoid the spread of COVID but also avoid the spread of grey, damp weather. Um, on the masks, Moira says, I totally agree with compulsory mask wearing. People have gone to great lengths to abide by all protocols. Now, if these COVID idiots refuse to wear the masks, they're putting us all back in lockdown again. Also, clarity on where we can travel to must be sorted ASAP. Just listening to 96FM before the news and an ad for ferry travel to the UK is on. Really, what is happening? Stop the ads till clarity is obtained, Moira. Yeah, Moira, look, you have a fair point. Um, I don't obviously don't have any role in the advertising um, and there is no law against advertising this because the travel situation is an advisory and not actually a legal order. Uh, I understand that it is the case that your travel insurance won't cover you if you if you basically travel outside of the country because it's contrary to Department of Foreign Affairs advice. Um so this notion of the green list, to be honest, I, I, I struggle to understand why they were bothering because they don't want anyone traveling. Um, but it's like saying, well, you can travel, but if you could, here are the places you can go, but your insurance doesn't cover you to go there anyway, so you may as well not go. That's kind of the summary of it. We obviously don't have a green list yet. The cabinet was due to meet today, but Michal Martin is still in Brussels because of that budget meeting that is ongoing. Um, so I gathered that that's been put off till tomorrow or possibly even after that, I'm not sure. Um, but the green list is not being uh, released today and I suspect there won't be one because you're not supposed to be travelling anyway. Having said that, I saw the um, ferry to France coming in to Cork Harbour there yesterday, uh, or the ferry from France rather, and I'm sure there were people coming off it and people getting onto it, so there certainly are people on the move. But, I mean, I wouldn't travel abroad if I thought I'd no health insurance. Like, if you did get COVID in another country and you had no, no or sorry, no travel insurance covering you, um, I wonder, would your health insurance cover you? Would you be, you certainly couldn't be repatriated. Um, I would be very, very wary of that. Uh, somebody else on Twitter says I just got accosted by the owner of a local centre wear a mask tomorrow he says no I said and walk back out the door we'll shop at another store not participating in this nonsense see I don't understand your your take on that because what harm does it do you to wear a mask you know it might work it may, may not work but it's not going to cost you anything to wear one you know apart from the price of a mask and they're very cheaply available now um, Kate says in relation to traffic and places being busy Barley Cove was desperate yesterday if there was an emergency on the beach nobody would have been able to get out you know I saw the same about Kinsale Kate I saw posts from people I think in the Kinsale Facebook group um, suggesting that the town was backed up all day and that there was miles and miles and miles of traffic out as far as Belgooley. Um 
Which is nuts. I mean, I know there's a lot of tourists around. Cove has been hopping as well. Um, we were at Photo the other day and I know Photo's very busy with people from all over the country there um, because people are doing their staycations and there's a lot of them are doing them in Cork from from what I'm hearing. Um, but yeah, the traffic management, I mean, I suppose that's the job of the guards. But if they're supposed to be going around enforcing masks as well, I don't know how they would do all of them at the same time. Another caller says, I was in the matter last week for an appointment. I was charged a 75 euro surcharge for COVID, PPE, etc. No explanation. If I wanted the appointment, I had to pay it. However, my doctor had absolutely no PPE on, not even gloves. Now, I suppose the gloves, you know, hand washing is as good as gloves, but you would have thought they'd be wearing a mask. I don't understand that. Um, John says, I was in Dunn's last Friday and I noticed that most of the staff were not wearing masks or gloves. Also, 11 to 2 is supposed to be for seniors, but it was chocolate block inside there. I'm a pensioner and this is worrying. Another texter says, when I'm going to a petrol station, is it okay to have a visor on, helmet down? I drive a moped or would I have to take the helmet off and put on a face mask? Good question, Marion. I'd say it's a case by case. I don't, because there's no laws on that, I guess it's, you know, it depends on the petrol station. They might ask you to take off your helmet. Um... Yeah, it's just all these little tiny decisions that have to be made, isn't it? Um, oh, happy birthday, by the way, to Aaron McMahon, regular uh, interviewee on the show. People will be well aware of Aaron and his, his story. Um, congratulations, Aaron, and congratulations to your parents um, on reaching a milestone because everyone is very precious after what you've been through. So hope you have a lovely, lovely day. Um, up next, motorways. Are we driving too fast on the motorways? Um, and I know immediately I'm going to load a text talking about autobans and how you can go at like 700 miles an hour on an autobahn. Um, but the Greens reckon that if we uh, drove more slowly on the motorways, we would reduce emissions. Would that be a simple way of reducing them? Would it be one way of tackling the problem? Because look, we have to do it. But what are the measures that people will find acceptable? What kind of things are you prepared to do to reduce emissions? Um Oh wait, three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. I'll talk to Dan Boyle in a minute. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six on Court's ninety six FM. Should we reduce the speed limits on the motorways to reduce our carbon emissions? Dan Boyle from the Greens Council, Dan Boyle. Uh, this was one of your proposals in the programme for government, Dan, was it? Well, it was talked about, uh, good morning, Deirdre. Uh, it, it was talked about during the talks uh, as one of the measures that should be considered. Uh, the Climate Action Plan is being reviewed uh, and the legislation has to be done within three months of, of the new government being formed. So uh, it, it's quite likely it'll be uh, one of the significant proposals made. It's um, it's something that's already been done in the Netherlands. Uh, and in fact, for fuel conservation reasons, it's something we would have done in the past, in the 1970s. Uh, but the reason for doing it now is that uh, the faster you travel in your car, uh, the the more carbon emissions you create. Uh, so it's it's a small measure. Uh, it would be 10 kilometres an hour less on, on the motorways. Uh, but in, in line with uh, a whole series of other measures, including improve public transport, it could it contribute significantly to reducing carbon emissions. 
Mm, I mean, this is the thing, Dan, like taken on its own, it, it, I think a lot of people would just consider this an annoyance um, when the public transport options aren't always brilliant. Like, I don't want to drive to Dublin. I have no interest in ever driving to Dublin. But if I weigh up my options at the moment, um, you know, these days certainly people don't really want to be sitting on a bus because of crowding for three hours. Um, the traffic, you don't know what it's going to be like at both ends. You going to be, don't know how long you're going to be stuck there. And the train remains very expensive. Is there any plans to um, increase the funding to Irish Rail to allow them to subsidise fares a little bit more? Well, certainly uh, there'll have to be proposals in relation to improving the infrastructure uh, for public transport, making more rolling stock available, making more buses available. Uh, and, and we are in this unusual period uh, in relation to COVID as, as regards not having full capacity. Mm. Uh, but hopefully that will pass soon and the alternative for people will be available. But what's being proposed is, is quite modest. Uh, in fact, uh, reducing the, the motorway speed in Ireland by 10 kilometres would take it exactly to where the motorway speed is in the United Kingdom now. Uh, and in, in terms of affecting people's time, it, it would be a loss of about eight or nine minutes over a 200 kilometre journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's it's uh, it, it is testing the waters, obviously, uh, and testing people's patience, possibly. Uh, but it, it, it's an illustration of the type of measure we need to take if we're serious about reducing carbon emissions. Mm. A texter says this is an attempt to hit motorists again. Our motorway network is designed to shorten journey times and bypasses some key towns. Motorists already have to contend with higher carbon tax and very high VRT rates. Enough is enough. Um, now that's from somebody called Cork Motorway Movement on Twitter. So obviously. <laughs> they're not um, packing any punches with regard kind to... Kind of an ironic name and most of the time we spend in our cars we spend in traffic gridlock. Just so sitting there, yeah, I suppose. Well, do you know what? This is the thing, you know, the motorways are the one place as you, the one place when you're in your car that you actually feel like you're going somewhere rather than just static. Um, you know, th- I suppose when you say but these are, you know, there's a whole load of different measures that we have to take. The problem with this is people get people get annoyed at small things, not big things, a lot of the time. Sure. Um, and if you keep piling on small, annoying things. Um, Is that not going to reduce any of the kind of goodwill that is there towards the climate mission? Well, look, I, I, I think uh, you could argue that any proposal uh, that will, will re- uh, bring about a change of behaviour is going to have a pushback uh, because we're quite happy with the way we live our lives and we don't like change. Mm. Uh, so uh, I think that's an argument that could be applied to any proposal that's made at any time. Uh, but uh, the, the problem exists in relation to carbon emissions. And in Ireland, we are worse at creating an overload of carbon emissions than many, many countries. We're, we're the third worst in Europe. Mm. Uh, and it, it, there, there's going to be a financial cost one way or the other uh, in a European Union context uh, if we don't get our act together because we're going to have to pay considerable fines and those fines will have to be found through additional taxation. So either we change behaviour, we modify it to relatively small extents uh, and we, we try to tackle the nature of the problem. Mm. In terms of the fines, Dan, are we already paying a lot of environmental fines? Uh, well, the the ones for um, carbon emissions haven't kicked in yet. They kick in sometime uh, after 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are paying environmental fines in relation to uh, habitat directives and, and uh, wastewater directives because we, uh, we we haven't fulfilled the timetable in relation to having sewage in towns of certain populations and we haven't protected areas uh, or we haven't sanctioned enough uh, protected areas in the way that we should have. So we are, are restarted paying fines to Europe and, and they're going to add up to a considerable sum. Uh, 
if they all come through to the extent that they're likely to, it could be as high as 600 million. Mm. That's Yeah, so I mean, in terms of the spend then that obviously the Greens would like to spend this money on something else first rather than have it um, soak away in fines. But do you think politically the will is there from the public to um, for that money to be going on projects to mitigate climate change? I, I think it's better than it has been. Uh, and uh, I, I think for the most part, people people understand there is a problem. Uh, they understand a problem needs to be addressed. Uh, the next phase of that is... Uh, having a, a general conversation as regards to the particular measures. And as you already said, it's it's the small stuff that will irritate. Uh, but if we don't tackle the small stuff, uh, we're, we're not going to make any progress whatsoever. So you can't be in favour of a general principle uh, of tackling uh, our carbon emissions problems and not be prepared to accept any of the measures that are needed to bring it about. Mm. Kev wants you to go back and talk about VRT. He says, our road tax is punishing those who can't afford to upgrade the car. And actually, that's an interesting one. Dan because um, I've been doing a lot of research into electric cars and what the options are and all of that but of course the bottom line for most of us is that the car you already have is the most environmentally friendly one not changing the car is the most environmentally friendly thing you can do but that's actually punished by the current VRT regime uh, Well in terms of buying a new car uh, the VRT kicks in then but holding on to your car is the most environmentally thing you can do because uh, what you're doing is you're you're using the existing resources that have already been expended on producing that car in the most environmentally sustainable way. Mm. Uh, um, but I, I, I think it's really a question of not only car ownership, but car usage. Uh, and, and people need the alternatives of public transport. Uh, and uh, I, I think there'll be alternatives coming down the line. Uh, another interesting statistic is that uh, we park our cars. We actually park our cars, not use them at all 92% of the time. Now, mm. that includes the time we're sleeping. Yeah. But yeah, the, but the thousands and thousands each of us spend and in, 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 in getting uh, a, a car that we own ourselves is, is huge resources that we, we take out of our own family budgets. And I think there's going to be a consideration about that. And I, I think schemes like the go-car scheme, people leasing for the hour or the day, or, or that, that's, that's going to be more predominant as we go on and people think about how they get from A to B in the future. Mm. Eamon Ryan has taken a lot of flack in the last few days about falling asleep during that um, that dull sitting. Uh, have you anything to say about that? Yeah, I uh, felt sorry for him. Uh, obviously, in a very embarrassing moment. Uh, uh, the the only mitigating factor, I think, is that uh, I know the man's been working very hard. Uh, uh, we're, we're about the same age. Uh, he's a year younger than me, but uh, I, I've, I've taken to having power naps myself through the day, you know, five or ten minutes just to get, get the, the, the adrenaline going again and the energy back. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the last few months in particular, in terms of negotiations, in terms of um, picking people, choosing people for portfolios and getting in touch with the briefs and, and uh, putting policy positions together for a government that hopefully can work, um, it, it obviously had an effect. Uh, it's not something he wants to repeat, and I'm something he's very embarrassed about. I'm sure, and he should be. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, we shouldn't let ourselves get in that that kind of state where we overtire ourselves and we expose ourselves that way in public. Mm, I mean, it's. I suppose that given the motion that was put forward at the time in relation to low-paid workers, uh, if if you were working McDonald's and you fell asleep, you'd be out in your ear. And I don't mean to pick uh, out McDonald's, by the way, if you're yeah, working. Yeah, I, I, I know. Small... But, well, I, 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 I think the. 
the nature of the particular motion itself and the parliamentary procedures, uh, they've been usually misrepresented. But what actually was voted on was a government amendment and then the amended motion. So, so the opposition mo- motion was never voted on at all. Uh, what was voted was was a clarification in relation to the government's policy for a living wage, uh, and and that's in the program for government, and it was confirmed by the agreed motion in Doyle and everything else was, I think, spin on behalf of the people who were moving the motion in the, in the Doyle, which I think included far too many items in any case. It, it wasn't a very good use of parliamentary time, uh, and we do have clarity on the living wage now, which I think the government is going to achieve, uh, and, and hopefully sooner rather than later. Do we have any timeline for that? Uh, it's it's not defined. It just says in the life of the term, the government. Uh, I, I think the first budget is going to be crucial in terms of the initial deficit we're dealing with. Uh, it's going to be somewhere in the region of 23 to 30 billion euro. Uh, uh, and uh, the government is committed to uh, increasing spending, especially for capital expenditure over the first two, lives, two years of its life. So it, 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 it'll have to identify... Uh, at the time period in which it's introduced. One of the factors I think that's working against us is that uh, businesses that are re-establishing uh, are not going to be given the additional burden while they're re-establishing. So I think we have to get overcome the, the initial uh, recessionary period we're in before it, it becomes a firm proposal. But hopefully the recession is short-lived and it isn't that deep and the measure can be introduced as quickly as possible. Mm. While I have you, Dan, one last thing. Um, your colleague Roger O'Gorman was the victim of a pretty nasty smear campaign over the last couple of weeks. We had an awful lot of people contact us um, on the show by email, people calling in, asking us to basically find out what all this was about with Peter Tatchell and Roderick O'Gorman. Um, as we know, there was a picture sent around Twitter of them together at a Pride March, which I believe is the only time they had met. And um, Minister O'Gorman had tweeted and, and clarified that was the only time they had met. He, today, he has received an apology from John Connors, the um, filmmaker and traveller activist, in relation to that. I don't know if you've seen that. I've seen that. Uh, I, I think the apology has to be commended. It's very difficult to, to apologise, uh, especially when the the smear itself, and it was an actual smear, uh, was so blatant and nasty. Uh, and uh, I, I think it shows one of the dangers of social media in the sense that uh, something is asserted to be true when it's taken out of context uh, and uh, it mis- it's misrepresented in, in the worst possible light. Uh, and uh, people jump to conclusions that were uh, never in place in the first instance. Um, I, I think Roderick uh, has, has been strengthened by the experience, and I think the portfolio has in, in terms of uh, children, uh, disability, uh, uh, equality, uh, and integration. Uh, it is it, going to call on all particular qualities to make sure that these kind of attitudes in our society are are challenged as much as possible and reduced as much as possible because character assassination is one of the worst things that you can do to any person, I believe. Who do you think was behind it? Oh, I think... Without naming names, of course. Yeah, there's a coterie of people who uh, have an agenda, who have... uh, a particular version of society uh, that isn't inclusive, that uh, that they believe uh, they they have the right to impose a vision of society that is closeted and narrow-minded, uh, and they use social media in a particular way that uh, they 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 attack people who they 
believe are liberal and are liberal uh, because liberal to me means to be inclusive and, and to be uh, acknowledging of, of diversity in society uh, and they hate the very idea of that. They, they want a monochrome society where we all think and believe the one way and the one way is the way that would have been predominant maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago and we're not that country anymore and, and, and thank God we're not. Okay, Councillor Dan Boyle, thanks for that this morning. We covered a, quite a range of things there, but um, interested to know what people think about that idea on the motorway speed limits, reducing it by um, 10 kilometres an hour. He reckons it would only take, eight, put eight minutes onto your journey to Dublin, 200 kilometre journey. That's about what it is to Dublin, isn't it? Um, somebody texts in to say it'll take all day to go to Dublin at this rate. Well, eight minutes isn't isn't really spectacular difference, is it? Ali says, what a bunch of morons that Green Party are. I go to Dublin three mo- times a month. I need my car as if I took public transport. I need to take a train, a Lewis and two buses. It would cost me a fortune, take me ages and also carry the stuff I need for meetings, etc. Get real, lads. Ali, though, you haven't tackled the actual proposal they're making. No one said they'd take your car off you. They said they would put eight minutes onto the journey either way. Like, that's not fundamentally disruptive to your life is it um, I mean yeah like when I saw it myself I kind of went oh another thing but as Dan Boyle said if you believe climate change is a problem then we all have to do little things to, to try and mitigate I don't know um, Ali though yeah they're not talking about taking your car off you it's just 8 minutes onto each part of the journey um, it's is that is that disruptive enough to bother you? Texter says, here's an interesting one. Secondary school international exchange students are still coming to Ireland this year. I take them most years myself. The students who arrived this year are also being sent straight to their host families, not sent somewhere to isolate first. They usually come from Italy, Spain and Germany and China, all of which have a lot of cases. Um, I'm not sure about Germany. I'm not sure about the stats for those countries, but that's still a very relevant point. Um that's, who's making that decision? Where where does that come from? Because sure, we don't even know if the schools are really going to be back at this stage, do we? I mean, they've said they are, but I, I, I would question it. We still don't know, certainly, if the third levels are back in, in the normal way. Um, that's a very interesting one. Have you been contacted, Texter, by, you know, a company who brings them or by the school or, or who? Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. 1850 Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. To come for it in a few minutes. Linda is a spokesperson for the Enough is Enough group in relation to disability services. Um, now, I know that a number of the bigger day services in Cork are back running and have been since... I suppose since phase two, I think finished, um, that they were back very, very quickly. I think Cope has been back for quite a while, um, and some of the others are too. But there were a lot of, um, children and adults with disabilities whose services are still not operational. And that's putting enormous stress on their carers, on their families, and on them, of course. And I'll be talking to Linda in just a moment. Linda Comerford joins me on the line now. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Georgia. How are you? Linda, I'm not too bad. Tell me what the Enough is Enough group is campaigning for. Hi, so our campaign is about three years old and we fight the rights um, for people with disabilities to have the services and support that they need. So currently, I suppose, due to the pandemic, um, adults with disabilities would have had no service, day service um, at all, bar a few maybe who would have had a very, very limited inferior service. Mm. Um, and we've been waiting for the, we have been waiting on the guidelines from the HSE to come out to see about the reopening. Um, of adult services because our, our young adults have been really, really struggling. They have been regressing, um, challenging behaviour and I suppose carers are, are facing burnout because we've been caring 24-7 with little to no support. Mm. So when the guidelines came out, we were extremely disappointed. They're very vague, they're non-committal, they offer no reassurance. They do very much indicate that we're going to have um, much less service. So a day service will be defined as 30 hours a week um, and we're looking at maybe two and a half anywhere from two and a half to nine hours um, in centre service with the rest being at home and what they mean by at home is that will be maybe Zoom calls, phone calls mm. um, or it may be where an activity pack is sent out or in some occasions um, the young person would have one to two hours once a week for someone to come take them for a walk um, and we just find that really insulting because it puts a lot of work back on families, back on carers. It doesn't address the issues whereby adults with intellectual disabilities are missing their routine, they're missing their service, um, they're missing their friends, their, the staff that are in these services. And it's just not good enough to send out something in the post. A lot of people can't do a Zoom call due to communication difficulties. They may not have broadband. They may have a hearing impairment. Mm. Or they may not just sit in front of a screen and communicate. That, they just, that's foreign to them. Yeah. So those kind of, that, that cannot be deemed as a service. And I suppose the fear is that if that is what is being provided or what is being moved as being provided, when will we or will we ever get back an adequate day service? I mean, we, the funding for day services has been um, insufficient for many, many years. So services were already struggling. And now with the new way that they have to find extra space, um, I mean, in some cases, social distancing rules and guidelines have been flexible or they're told they will be flexible. So in terms of schools, um, they're going to be a little bit flexible with them. But for adult services, it's very, very strict. Um, there's no leeway whatsoever and I think one of the big things is, even for those who may get a couple of hours, um, it's looking like there will be no transport. So that's mm-hmm. going to be a massive issue for people who live quite far away or for elderly parents who have elderly adults in services who may not be able to drive due to their own ill health um, as well. So it's just not good enough. Um, as I said, our adults are really, really struggling at the minute. Um, there's a number of them are shown... <clears throat> pardon me, um, aggressive behaviour. Um, they're withdrawn into themselves. 
depression has been um, a lot of parents have reported there's been like a lot of depression within their young adults and they're very very worried um, they're just really missing their routine they're really struggling uh, their needs are, are increasing um, and with no support it's just impossible for carers but they're doing their very very best and they still just feel that's not good enough we need support and we need to have these services back up and running it's not good enough that we're, we're left last again by government and we're consistently failed yeah. And at this stage, Linda, you're under, I think Minister Roderick O'Gorman was mentioned there in my last call. It, it, do your services come under Minister O'Gorman or are they under the Department of Health? Um, are they well, spread out? Well, both. It would be both. I mean, the funding comes from the HSE, so that would be the Minister uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen Donnelly. So he would be under, I suppose, the HS, as the HSE funding. He would be over that part. In terms of disability, Roger McGorman is the Minister for Children, Disability, um, Equality and Integration. But what we have found, and a number of parents have reported back to us as well, and we've seen the emails, that when we email the Minister, Roger McGorman, he is asking us to forward any concerns we have onto Junior Minister Anne Rabbit. Now, the problem with that is Anne Rabbit doesn't sit at the Cabinet table. So effectively, we have no vice for people with disabilities at the cabinet table because he seems to have just passed that whole section of his role onto a junior minister. Um, and I know she's junior minister for disabilities, but it just means if he's not willing to take on these issues, then we do not have a vice at cabinet. Um, and I know he's come out just last week. He announced funding for LGBTQI. Um, and that's great. We have no problem with that. He has... Um, and then an extra three weeks maternity leave for parents. Again, that's great, but he's doing everything in his role except anything for disabilities. And it's just like, why are we last? Why are we consistently forgotten? And from a new minister who's just taken on the post, and we understand it takes time to get your feet under the table and to get to grips with everything, it just seems like we are not on his priority list at all in any way, shape or form. And that is extremely disappointing because we feel very let down by the last Minister for Disability. And we were hoping that this time around we would have a Minister who was willing to really tackle issues faced by people with disabilities and their families mm. and to be a strong voice for us at Cabinet. And it just looks like that's not going to happen. At least it's it started off very poor. Um, what he's going to do in the future, whether he'll change that, I mean, that's a decision he has to make for himself. But from where parents are sitting and from where people with disabilities are sitting, um, yeah, we, we don't hold out much hope. I think, again, we just feel very forgotten. We feel like we're last of the list. Um, and I think you'd find if, if adult day services were a business that generated revenue, we wouldn't be left last bottom of the list. Um, we just feel because it costs money mm. on the state to provide these services to very vulnerable people um, that we just don't matter. I mean, day services don't just, they provide ongoing education, they provide sensory things for people that have very profound needs, they provide um, work experience for maybe adults or individuals who just need that little bit longer to to kind of, I suppose, get to grips with the working environment or to to improve their mm. skills. Is it being uh, left up to them, Linda, individually in some cases? Because I know some of the more, um, the better known ones in Cork certainly are open. Um, or now, to what extent, I don't know. But um, certainly I know the COPE, COPE has been open to, to some of their adults with disabilities um, for, for quite a while now. Um, so do you think there's a level of this happening from kind of people on the ground making decisions? It's a little bit of both. I mean, some services definitely have remained open during COVID, but they have remained open 
Um, like I know a service who one parish, it, overall they have I think 117, 117 or more um, adults who would attend, but they have very different parts of their service. Mm. But in one part they would have 70 to 75 young adults. Um, and currently, during the pandemic, they remained open to six. Um, so those six right. would have been those with the most profound needs that would yeah. have had very complex needs. So that's um, probably and families a decision would have made on the ground. Okay. Yeah, so they, they'd open for them. Um, and I know the service did grow that number to 20 and then the HSE told them to stop. Oh. Um, yeah, so, and I and I mean, I spoke to the disability manager himself um, and when I asked why have you to stop, so we have to wait for guidelines and because of social distancing we have to create more space. And I said, but like, were you confident that you could provide a service to those people? I'll bet it'd be very limited. Um, and he said at the, at the time he could. Now he couldn't envision that he would be able to bring the 70, 75 back yeah, due to the he was able to to social something. distance. But he was slowly kind of bringing some back and he was asked to stop. Okay. So that's the worry that the HCR yeah. said, actually, no, don't do that. Where okay. a service has shown their willingness to do it. Um, and I suppose just, just to make it really clear, because I think there was a little bit of confusion in the start of our campaign, our frustration lies with the HSE and government. Yeah, not the individual um, we, services. Not the individual services, certainly not the staff. We do, however, feel that the managers in these centres do have a role to play because they have been underfunded for many, many years. And I know different services put in different business cases and they make different appeals for, for extra funding. But I think collectively they need to come together yeah. and be a louder voice. Yeah. And they do have those those organisations. Linda, thank you very much. We're going to check back in with you over the next couple of weeks and see what's happening with those because I'd imagine there are an awful lot of people listening to us today who are in that situation, who have adult children at home, out of their routines, as you say. And that's a very desperate situation because, um, as you say, carers are burned out and people are just, people won't cope with this much longer if they are still coping even. Um, Linda Cumberford from the Enough is Enough campaign. Thank you for that. Next up, I'm going to be speaking to Vicky Phelan about her friend Ruth Morrissey. This is Court's Gold Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Court's 96 FM. The cervical check campaigner Ruth Morrissey has passed away um, from the illness over the weekend and her friend Vicky Phelan joins me on the line. Good morning, Vicky. Hi, Deirdre. How are you? Vicky, it's a very sad day, I'd imagine, for you and certainly for, for Ruth Morrissey's family and friends. She fought very, very hard, didn't she? She did, yeah. Uh, she. Um, I've met a lot of women with cervical cancer over the last two years, as you can well imagine. And of all of the women I've met, I don't think anybody actually had as many complications and had so much to fight, uh, you know, on top of her illness, she had to fight her way through that court. Um, you know, I, I, I had the same experience, but mine was much shorter. You know, my court case was over in four days. Ruth had the longest medical negligence uh, case ever in the history of the state. Uh, for thir- 38 days, the case went on. And not only that then, you know, when she won her case, then the HSC and the labs uh, decided to appeal it. So, you know, she, she had to fight for a long time to get justice and to get answers and then while she was doing all of that she was fighting uh, you know the terrible side effects uh, and, and complications with this disease uh, and she had awful complications you know she has spent an awful lot of time in a hospice ever before um, you know she died over the last two years she spent quite a lot of time uh, that's where I visited her quite a lot to be honest you know we'd meet outside of it when she was at home 
But, um, you know, I, I did visit her quite a bit in the hospice when she was suffering from complications. And, uh, you know, it, it's terrible to see it end up like this, you know. It's the case of Ruth Morrissey, I suppose your case and Emma Vicfahuna's case were so well documented and were so well known and um, Ruth Morrissey's case I think was a whole other level of mm. of certainly people perceived it as a whole other level really of betrayal um, in yeah, that the case was. was dragged out for so long. Yeah, they, they kind of used it as a test case, you know, they, at that point, you know, there, were, there had been four cases prior to Ruth's case, uh, mine, Emma's and two other cases that had been taken, but uh, the women decided to remain anonymous. And by the time Ruth came along, you know, I think the state decided, well, there's going to be so many of these cases, we have to try and, uh, you know, um, make make a statement here. And they made a bloody statement with that court case, you know, by, by um, you know, fighting a tooth and nail and, uh, you know, and then appealing it when, it, you know, the result didn't go their way. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was, that was the one thing. Ruth was never angry about her disease or about the fact that she was going to die. Um, she was very angry about the way she was treated and about being dragged through the courts at a time when she should have been spending her time at home with her young daughter. Do you find it odd, Vicky, that the people who oversaw the whole cervical check scandal and all of these cases and who would have given the go-ahead for these cases to be taken and to be approached in the way that they were, obviously based on legal advice, are the same people that we're lauding for their handling of the pandemic? Yes, I do. I find it very difficult. Um, you won't see me nodding them uh, on Twitter or publicly because, you know, I've, I've had a different experience of a lot of these people, so I certainly wouldn't be the one clapping um, a lot of what uh, went on over the last couple of months with the pandemic. Uh, so, yes, it really kind of um, sticks in my neck, to be honest, that that has been happening. But look, uh, what can you do? You know, um, you just have to kind of get on with your life. And I suppose, you know, one of the difficult things over the last couple of months with COVID was the fact that I couldn't see Ruth, you know, once um, once COVID happened. I hadn't seen her in a couple of months. And we, were, we literally only live about a mile away from each other. So we would have met regularly enough for coffee. And, you know, I, I, generally it was me going to her because, you know, Ruth couldn't drive uh, towards the last few months because one of the tumours was pressing on her spine and she was on crutches and then ended up in a wheelchair. So, you know, it was generally me uh, visiting her at home or, or picking her up and, and we go somewhere. Um, so, you know, when that was taken away from us, then it was just messages, you know, that we were exchanging. So it was, it was a difficult few months for, 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 for her, you know, I, I really feel for her that she missed out on a huge amount of contact with people in, in the last month of her life. In terms of her legacy, Vicky, I think all of you, as as I think people have acknowledged that all of you have done the state some service, but Ruth maybe highlighted that that um, urge to protect itself that the the organs of the state have mm-hmm. um, to to maybe a much larger degree than than yourself and and even Emma. Yeah, she did. I mean, it was quite obvious, you know, that. Uh uh, I mean, I remember during my court case, uh, I suppose they were taken by surprise by the time mine came around because, you know, they, they weren't ready for it really. You know, mine was the very first one. And then because it went public, um, you know, all these cases came came after it. But, you know, they got themselves ready, I suppose, at that point. And then Ruth came along and they decided to use this case um, as a test case. But, you know, thankfully they lost. And, you know, the, the hard thing, I suppose, about the fact that the Supreme Court appeal decision came in March during COVID, it kind of came and went without people really... Mm 
realizing, you know, I mean, we knew how how uh, how historic and how important this decision was. That uh, you know, that the Supreme Court, five judges, uh, stood behind the decision made by Judge Cross in Ruth's case uh, and upheld it, and basically has held the HSE. I mean, one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is one of the things that the HSE, through their legal uh, representatives, were arguing was that they were not responsible for the screening program. They were trying to pass it off on the labs. Yeah. So one of the things that came out of this decision and, you know, the appeal upheld it was that the HSE is responsible. You know, they're subcontracting to labs in the States, but they are overall responsible for the screening programme. And that is only right. You know, that's, uh, and we've been arguing that all along. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a, that's a huge legacy to leave huge for legacy somebody. To leave. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that Ruth would like to have seen, you know, we spoke about this a few times, um, is, you know, we both had a huge interest in, in leaving behind a, a safe uh, you know, screening service that women can trust because I know the steps of the court when Ruth finished her case, that was one thing she said. She said, you know, I still want women to go for smears. You know, screening does save lives. So, you know, a legacy definitely for Ruth would be to, to bring screening home, you know, bring it back home and make it as safe as possible. Uh, we only do 10% of the screening in this country in the comb and the rest of it is outsourced. Mm. And all of the problems with our screening service started when they outsourced it. So bring it home, you know, yeah. that that. That would be my, you know, I would be uh, definitely looking for that too, you know, uh, you know, honour these women that are, have died and who will continue to die and bring screening home. That I think would be a huge testament to, to the, the work that Ruth has done. And at the moment, Vicky, the screening programmes were, um, they were suspended for a long time. I'm not sure if the cervical check programme is up and running again. Yes, it's back. It's yeah, back. it is back. I can confirm that. Yes, it is back. Okay, and because I know we've spoken to you about this before, the delays obviously for women who may be experiencing symptoms. Obviously, that's that's beyond the screening screening program. That's when you need to go and get checked if if you are experiencing any symptoms. Obviously, um, the doctors are reporting that they're seeing people presenting with cancer symptoms who who are further along than they would like them to be. Yeah. Um, we'd obviously have to remind people that if they do have any symptoms of any anything at all abnormal, that they really need to go and get checked immediately. Absolutely, um, because you know, by the time you have symptoms, usually you know your cancer is generally you know established. I mean, that was the case with me when I went in with symptoms in mm. 2014, not knowing that I already had cancer. You know, at that stage, you know, once you have symptoms, uh, you know, your, your cancer is already established, and you really, particularly with cervical cancer, you know, if you have any bleeding in between your periods, any pain, look pain in your lower back that is consistent that doesn't go away. And I'm not talking about pain that kind of will, you know, knock you out, that you'll be in agony. It's a low, kind of a dull a kind of like a period pain, but it, that it does not go away, that's consistently there. Mm. And then, you know, one of the other big symptoms is bleeding after sex. If you bleed after sex and it's red, it's an angry red colour blood, you know, usually what that is is a tumour shedding. I mean, that's what I discovered afterwards when it happened to me. Um, you know, so if you bleed in between your periods, uh, any back pain that doesn't go away and um, that's consistently there um, and bleeding after sex is a big no-no. Definitely, you have to go and get your symptoms checked out. Okay. Vicky, I'm very sorry for your loss. Thanks very much, Deirdre. Thank you, and we'll talk to you again soon okay. in happier circumstances next time, I hope. It's um, a very sad day for people, and Sean texts in, the same people who were America's heroes throughout COVID are the people who let down the women with the cervical cancer and the hep C. We have short memories. True indeed, Sean. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM.
And if you're just tuning in, it's Dee here in for PJ. He's on his holidays. He's getting some lovely sunshine for it. So I hope anyone who's out and about today, I hope you're enjoying that and making the most of it. Because according to uh, Cahill from UCC Weather, who we had on earlier, it is not going to stay as nice as this for the week. So do get out and get swimming and get out in the fresh air while you can. Because uh, I kind of look back at those lovely halcyon days of April and May where we had beautiful weather and we sort of assumed it would continue for the whole summer and it really is not. Um, on to something totally different next. Joey Sheehan, the mortgage coach, is on the line to talk about this one. Hi, Joey. Hi, thanks for having me on the line. Not a bother, Joey. I'm just going to read this email first because I want to put people in the frame. We got this email from somebody uh, during the week. They say, I wish I was contacting you in good times, but I feel people should be aware of a scam that has now ruined my entire life. The scam I am speaking of is one that most normal people would steer clear of, but it's designed to target the desperate and vulnerable. Fake loan companies who promise loans and take payments from you. And yes, I know it automatically sounds wrong, but for people like me, it made sense. I'm going on 30, says this person, and I am in full-time employment in a good-paying job. I've made mistakes in my life when I was young, and I'm suffering ever since. I have done everything to turn my life around, but nobody can trust you for something 10 years ago. I found myself in financial difficulties, and I couldn't get a loan on my own from any reputable financial institution, so I ventured online. I was offered a quick loan, but I had to pay for insurance and legal charges as I had a bad credit rating, which I found fair. This is how they catch you and pull you in. I have since not received any loan and charges have kept coming. I found myself in so far that I couldn't stop and I really wanted to believe that it was true. I am now down a further €4,000 and feel like all hope is lost for me. I have the ability to honour a loan agreement, but now I found myself... I find myself €4,000 deeper in debt. This money, which I seem to have no way of getting back and has thrown me from the frying pan into the fire. I just want to raise this so that nobody else gets hurt the way I have been. Joey, is that a scam that sounds familiar to you? Yeah, well, I've, I've looked on the, the internet and I've seen reports of this type of scam recently and these are aimed at targeting you know, vulnerable people like your 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 listener there, who's you know in a very vulnerable position and don't have any other options. You know, mm. now some mainstream banks also do offer online loans and things like that. You can apply and get approval. However, what I would say to people is, if you're doing anything like that online, check, double check, treble check, and quadruple check. You know, the bank that you're you're, you're dealing with. If it's a reputable bank like one of the, you know, AIB or somebody like that, that we all know it's a household name, mm. um, you know, you're going to have a bit more comfort with that. But if you don't know the lender that you're dealing with, do your research. Don't enter, enter into any agreement. Don't give any bank details. Don't, you know, draw down any loan or, or attempt to draw down any loan until you're absolutely certain. Um, now, one way of checking that is you could go to the central bank website and they have a list of registers there. So it's registers.centralbank.ie and if you look the, look up the firm that's claiming to be a lender, you can check there if they're authorised by the central bank or not. Okay. Um, you know, if something seems too good to be true, a lot of the time it probably is, you know, and I feel for your, your listener there because obviously they, they'd failed to secure credit with other lenders and, you know, they were left with very few options. But what, what I'd say to people so that they don't find themselves in the same position is check, double check, you know, ask around, ask friends, ask ask family, you know, talk to us at mymortgages.ie if somebody rang us and, you know, a general inquiry like that, you know, we'll try and guide them as best we can. Um, so just do your research and make sure that you don't um, give out any bank details. Okay, because in a situation like this, um, I mean, that's not, presumably that's not legal what's happening there. 
I, I would absolutely wouldn't think so. And I think the, the, there was an article that the, on Garda Shiakana had warning people about this scam uh, online. So um, I, I would say that that person should probably, you know, go go to the guards and see what what their recourse is from there. Yeah, I mean they're unlikely, I guess, to get their money back, but at least they might stop themselves losing any more. Um, and like, can't they can't they tell their bank to stop paying that out? Absolutely. So if you have a direct debit that um, is going out of your account, you can instruct your bank to cancel that direct debit. Mm. So your listener should absolutely do that immediately if they haven't done so already. And um, um, yeah, that's the first thing they should be doing. Okay. So the guards, talk to your bank, tell them to cut off the payment, go to the guards immediately. I suppose, Joey, when you say go to the central bank registered, there would still be um, high interest uh, providers there that that wouldn't be ideal, but might be the only option some people have if they have a bad credit rating. Would that be the case? Yeah. So there's money lenders registered with the central bank. Yeah. Um, and if they don't act, you know, fairly and, and honestly with their their clients, I suppose the, the borrowers, the central bank will impose sanctions on them. So, you know, you'd prefer not to go to a money lender, depending on the interest rate. However, if you are, go to one that is registered uh, with the central bank, because if something like this happened, there would be sanctions for that firm by the central bank, um, if they were messing their customers around. Um, so, yeah. You know, okay. that, that is an option also. So they could be, I suppose they could be de- delisted if they were really... Um, exactly, they could yeah. be fined or, or, or in severe circumstances, I suppose they could be de- disauthorised, yeah. Yeah, and in terms then of, like, when you talk about a high interest rate, you see, I think sometimes financial people think that the rest of us um, understand all these concepts and we might have a very vague understanding of them and I'm speaking as, a, you know, an, an adult with a house and everything, but I yeah. am still really confused by all of this stuff myself. Um, like, the minute... You you know, I'm like the person on the bus on the tracker mortgage. I, I just don't know what any of these things really yeah. mean on, a, on a, an essential basis. So in terms of when you're talking about a high interest rate, like you hear of people say buying clothes online and I obviously won't name any sites or anything like that, but you hear of people buying clothes online and they're paying the clothes off, say two euros a week or whatever. But when they add up how much they're actually going to be paying off, they've paid for the clothes two or three times over by the time they finish paying for it because the interest rate is so high. Is it the same kind of principle with that as it is with it with a say a loan shark or a, a money lender where you're ending up paying over multiple amounts of that money by the time you have it all paid back yeah so just to give like it's mortgages we deal with at my mortgages.ie just mm. to give an example in relation to mortgages because I actually have those figures here yeah um, if you were borrowing 300,000 of a loan amount over 35 years which would be in Cork probably um, an average size mortgage thereabouts yeah. If you went to Bank A, let's say, and you're paying an interest rate of 4.5%, which doesn't sound that high, mm. your monthly payment would be €1,419 and you would pay a total interest of €296,000. So you're borrowing 300000 and you're paying almost 300000 interest. That's total repayment of 600000 Wow. And do you think people actually sit down and work that out? I mean, with the mortgage, I know obviously when you sign all the documents for mortgage, that is all there somewhere for the people that read it. Um, yeah. But So when it comes to mortgage, people maybe do consider these decisions. And obviously your options are kind of limited in terms of, you know, there's only maybe, there might only be two banks that will actually deal with you, but depending on your credit history and your income and all of that. Um, so you might not have much of a choice about that. But when it comes then to smaller transactions that people are making, like if they're getting a loan 
phone for a new kitchen or a car or as a, that example that I mentioned I think which is pretty common now people are paying off a couch or even clothes or whatever yeah. do you think people are paying this kind of massive interest um, and not really considering it? Well, in some cases, but as an alternative, so let's say Bank A was saying there, yeah. if you borrow 300, you're basically paying back 600,000. That's based on a variable rate of 4.5%. Yeah. Another bank would offer a variable rate at the same terms of 2.95% interest. Right. That would give a monthly payment of 1146 rather than 1419 and you'd pay total interest of 181,000. Wow. So there's a difference there depending which bank you go with on a variable rate of 115,000 euro over the life of your mortgage. So so in a mortgage context absolutely it, it only it's 1.55% difference in the rate but it's 115,000 euro over 35 years. That is a crazy amount of money. So so you know it's it's a matter of getting the best financial advice like we have seven agencies at my mortgages and when somebody comes into us we'd see where they qualify and then we'd see where they get the best rate and that that's our job is to find and make sure they pay back as little as possible yeah likewise when you're buying furniture and, and different um things like that appliances for a home mm. uh, I, I would say to people if you can avoid finance avoid it yeah, because a lot um, of the shops will offer you that. I mean, and it's as as we say, it's perfectly legal, it's perfectly legitimate. But you could be paying through the nose for it, whereas you may be as well off going down to the credit union and getting a loan and paying them back rather than the shop or whoever's offering the finance. Exactly, and at least you know with your credit union, you, you can walk in the door and you can meet them, and you know who you're dealing with. Yeah. Some of the online um, finance companies, you know, can be difficult to deal with, and some mm. of them aren't based in Ireland. You know, the administration is maybe in the UK. So if you want to amend something or if there's an issue collecting a payment, it can be difficult to deal with them. Yeah. Okay. So that's very interesting. So, I mean, this person who contacted us initially about the scam, like when I was reading this the entire time, I was I was about halfway down and I was going, why did you not just get onto your credit union? I mean, I know they're not going to lend to absolutely everybody, but aren't they there for people in this kind of situation? The credit union? Yeah. Well, most credit unions, if you've, if you've got a track record with them and if they know you, and, and you know, you, 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 a lot of people get into difficult times after the last recession mm. and, you know, maybe they struggled. Once they engage with their, their lender and they went in and maybe reduced down their payments, maybe paying interest in part capital or maybe interest only, whatever their circumstances were, you know, the credit union will see that track record. And if somebody's in a tough situation now, they will try, you know, all things being equal, they will try and, and help them and give them that loan, you know. Is there anywhere else people can go? Um, if you've got bad credit, um, your options definitely are limited. Mm. So, you know, you, you could try your credit union. But I, I think, you know, contact, you know, contact a financial advisor. You know, let's say we don't deal with uh, unsecured loans, but we can maybe point somebody in the right direction. Yeah. You know, if somebody rings us at my mortgages, we, we'll try and help them if we can, even if we don't offer that at product, you know. Yeah, okay. Joy Sheehan, the mortgage coach, thank you very much for that. Very interesting discussion. And like that, that comparison of the two mortgages is quite striking for anybody who is shopping around at the moment. Make sure you do shop around and make sure you do your, your maths because um, that's that's crazy that you'd be paying twice the, the amount. Um, Joey, thank you for that. Um, so that's interesting. Like, have you ever dealt with a money lender or have you been scammed like this person who's emailed us? Um, if you didn't hear the start of that, they basically were offered a quick loan by an online um, loan shark, I suppose. And they have now paid €4,000 to that company and they have actually got nothing. So, I mean, obviously you need to cut off that payment and make sure that they, they don't take any more of your money. But that is actually something that you can report to the guards um, if, if you have been scammed or if you feel that you've been scammed. That's a huge fraud and I'd love to know how many people that are actually uh, being impacted by that fraud. Frank says, and what? 
WhatsApp. This is going on for years in Cork under the guise of legal money lenders. Loans at 158% interest. Totally legal, Frank. And yeah, look, I suppose it's worth reminding you that just because something is legal doesn't mean that it, you'll actually be able to um, fulfil your obligations under it or that you, it'll actually work for you. Um plenty of things legal that aren't ideal for everybody or that aren't uh, suited to people uh, in relation to COVID-19 Johnny says in WhatsApp I've just seen a video clip of a mass brawl in a pub in Dublin if this is verified I wouldn't blame the government for delaying opening of pubs after seeing this carry on um, I don't know what clip you're referring to Johnny I haven't seen it so I can't really comment but yeah delaying the opening of the pubs I mean there was a lot of pubs supposed to be um, supposed to be open again soon and they're obviously not now they kind of don't know what's going on with them Michal Martin actually said that to PJ initially on this show what, two weeks ago now um, and it was it, it was I think a bit of a shock to a lot of people that the, the reopening wasn't definitely going to happen Um but we have a lot of uncertainty now about what's happening and, and whether we'll kind of get back to normal at any time this year I think uh, Make the Frick says in relation to Whelan's Bar Heidi did your fellow county man open his pub for a play if he did Frick I don't know where Whelan's Bar is Mick uh, I don't know what bar you're talking about there um, Newcastle West oh the guy that we had on a few weeks ago actually we must check that they're opening today apparently great yeah we might check in with him tomorrow and see how, how he's getting on actually another another um, uh, county man of mine was on the Sunday Independent yesterday. Uh, one of my local publicans at home, Pat McGrath, was on the Sunday Indo um, talking about this as well. And I think it's um, it's very difficult for people, for people running small businesses particularly. You know, we all look at the really big pubs that do serve meals and have outdoor space and kind of are, are super pubs. But it's these little ones where you've one person behind the bar most of the time, it's the owner. They have either a farm or they have another business as well. And the pub is nearly as much of a hobby and um, as a moneymaker in a lot of villages and you just wonder is there any um, is there any hope for them really I think it's very difficult uh, Anonymous caller says Hi D yesterday there was someone playing music on the promenade in Cove which drew huge crowds onto the beach it has to have been four to 500 people it needs to be stopped immediately onto the beach the beach is a bit far away do you mean onto the promenade maybe um, unless there was people down the bit the tide I don't think the tide ever goes out there right at the prom um, or maybe the beach down beside it I don't really know where you're talking about there has been some music um, Neva Connor local singer has been singing in the bandstand um, and I've been in the park a number of times since since the lockdown reopened it's my local park obviously um, and people social distancing very well there's a lovely little coffee stall there there's truly truly scrumptious people um, it's normally very easy to distance there because there's loads of benches that you can sit on they're all very far from each other um, now I know there's a lot of tourists in Cove at the moment and there have been but I didn't see that. If anybody else saw that, let me know. Um, another texter says, Saturday I drove through town. The crowds on the South Mall in front of Electric were unreal. Bishop Lucy Park was nearly empty. The only difference I could see was that there was a security guard on Bishop Lucy Park. The crowd was just insane. Yeah, very hard to monitor that. Um, and I saw Electric was reopening and they had their outdoor furniture out and everything. But it's... Um, very difficult to monitor. I suppose we know the risks are, are less when you're outside, but it's up to people themselves to make sure they're far enough away. It shouldn't take a security guard, really. Um, but also Bishop Lucy Park probably isn't as pleasant a place to sit as outside electric, I would say, with the state of it generally and then some of the usual frequenters of it not exactly welcoming. Um but that's very interesting about about such a big crowd. Anything more to say on that? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six is the number to call, or you can text oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Next up, a time capsule on Cape Clear.
uh, if you've been down there this summer I'd love to talk to you I haven't been down there yet maybe maybe in August um, some of our regular um, some of our regular callers are going to feature in it so we'll hear about that from Ben Clark in just a minute This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850 715 on Cork's 96FM Ben Clark is the producer of a new initiative taking place on Cape Clear. It's a small time capsule which is going to be planted uh, on the island as part of a documentary on Ed Harper and the island. Hi, Ben. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Ben, Ed is a regular uh, contributor to this show and we're always delighted to talk to him. And um, he's he's one of my favourite stories, actually, that we have ever discussed. So I'm delighted to hear you're doing a documentary on him. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun actually, and the wonderful thing about it is because he's been interviewed so many times. There's so much material about him. There, uh, so oh, there can, absolutely is. Um, to remind anybody who doesn't, who who Ed might not immediately spring to mind, tell tell us, give us a bit of a description. Well, he's this guy with quite a bit of pluck. I mean, he moved from uh, Manchester in the seventies. Uh, he's been blind since he was three, and uh, he managed to set up a goat farm and. Uh, contribute quite a lot to the, the economy of the island. And Ed has been on the show previously. People might remember him from speaking to us about his guide dog. Um, the, the, his guide dog was being retired, but he would have also been on the show because of his involvement in politics. He's been very involved in uh, People Before Profit. Yeah, that's right. And uh, he certainly uh, told us a lot about that. Um, in fact, uh, yeah, he's, he's, the, the great thing about Ed is that he a whole range of things. And he presents very articulate arguments for his point of view. So he's perfect for uh, a documentary. Brilliant. So you're looking for people to contribute to a time capsule as, as part of this process. What, what kind of things are you looking for? Yeah, we're looking for really powerful photographs that people have taken of Ed over the years, uh, particularly black and white photos uh, or just generally photos from the 70s and the 80s uh, and even into the 90s. Uh, and we're also looking for um, visual footage, if they took any, and perhaps even audio recordings. But we're also putting in uh, pictures, especially pictures that kids have drawn of the goats, Ed, his farm, uh, or even just poems or little letters where people are uh, remembering their visit to his farm. Okay. And what's, who is the documentary aimed at? Is it going to be, uh, it's a TV documentary, I'm assuming, Ben, is it? Uh, it's going to be a short film. It's my major project for uh, my master's at IADT in Dunleary at the National Film School, but I'm then going to enter it into some short film festivals. Brilliant. Well, it, he's a great subject, and I think it's 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 not before time. Um, in terms, then, of how people are going to get the material to you or to do an interview with you, how do they contact you? Uh, they can contact me uh, on my phone number. Do you want me to provide it now? Um, I can read it out here, the one you, you supplied to us. Yeah. Yeah, it's 085 I'd imagine, Ben, that there are a lot of people listening from Cork City and elsewhere around the county who have been to Cape Clear on day trips or on holidays and probably got some great pictures of Ed over the years. Yes, yes, but it's, it's also interesting. There are a lot of people that haven't heard of him uh, outside of Cork and Ireland. Mm. So... Uh, uh, I think this will be a very interesting documentary for a number of reasons. 
The other thing that's great about Ed is that you can go back and you can look at the questions that Gay Byrne asked back in the early 80s. Huh. And you can ask him, as we did, some of those questions again. Uh, so, for example, his aspirations to learn Irish, um, what it would be like to raise kids on an island. And so, because we're planning a time capsule, which will be open in 50 years, we, we went back to those questions, but we also asked him, what are his hopes for the island in 50 years when the time capsule uh, is excavated? Great. That sounds really good, Ben. I'm looking forward to seeing the finished product and best of luck gathering all your material. Thanks very much. Thank you. It's Yeah, it's one of those stories. I actually I mentioned I was away with family over last week and I was telling them all about Ed because it, he is one of my... Um, favourite stories that we've ever covered really on the show just such a fascinating story and if you are down in Cape Clear if you're planning on taking a little day trip out on the ferry from Baltimore um, and you go for the walk around the island you go up through the woods um, you come out and there's a sign that says goat's milk ice cream and you follow along the hills um, and you come to a little cottage and Ed and his freezer full of ice cream and his goats and uh, that was my first encounter with him about um about six or seven years ago now, I think, before I started here. Uh, and <laughs> long story, but we got stranded on the island and had to sleep in a tent with our dog. And I was hosting a ladies' lunch the following day um, and I had to race back to Cork. I only realised halfway through the ladies' lunch that my leg was still covered in mud from the <laughs> from climbing through the woods. But uh, that's all besides the point. Uh, we have to have these adventures from time to time. And uh, Ed's story is certainly one of a great adventure and uh, really just really interesting. How do, I, I still don't understand how somebody who's blind can make their way around that hilly terrain with the goats. Uh, but he does and he does it very well. So um, that's Ben Clark and I'll give you the number again. It's 85 770 Here's one for you, right? Something that um, that was presented to me over the last few days in terms of um, a campaign that's been going on on social media. I wasn't um, familiar with this. It hadn't been on my social media. It was one of the lads here who flagged it with me. The Free Britney campaign. Have you seen or heard from Britney Spears recently? Um, and once this kind of got me, you know, once I thought about it, I was like, no, I actually haven't. I knew she was doing a kind of a residency in LA. You know, Celine Dion did one and um, I think Whitney Houston back in the day did one. Uh, probably a nice option for somebody in that position because you don't have to be touring all the time. You don't, no movement. You can just kind of go to work every evening like a normal person. Um, but other than that, she just seems to have kind of disappeared like there's no mad headlines about her at the moment um, don't re- didn't really know anything about her love life nothing like that whereas for years obviously she was really in the middle of all the news so there's this campaign going on it's hashtag free Britney and uh, our old pal here 96FM uh, of, of your Clodagh Haywood is going to fill me in on that in a while because it has been going really viral and there's this big campaign of like where is Britney can we help her what's happening to her um, and it brings up some really interesting issues about um, people basically human rights and, and your right to kind of live your life your own way uh, so we talk about that in a little while people love a positive story Jero D you were at the beach over the weekend and what happened? Hi D how are you? Um, yeah um, I suppose like many people taking advantage of the, the good weather um, we decided we go to the beach um, but I suppose an issue always for us and probably for everybody else who has somebody in a wheelchair um, is access to the beach mm. um, whereas there's always plenty of ramps and there's always plenty of access that way but given the skinny nature of the wheels of a wheelchair you won't really push it through the sand too easily at all um, but uh, Cork County Council introduced an initiative there last year of a beach wheelchair 
Um, and it's it's down in the Warren Strand, which is just down in Ross Carberry. Mm. Um, and it's it's a pretty nifty looking uh, piece of equipment. Um, there's uh, three very big wheels on it. I'd nearly say that um, it would probably float if you wanted it to. Um, <laughs> but certainly uh, on water side, it just floats across the sand. Um, very easy to push. And um, in fact, you can you can pull it as well if you decided you wanted to go for a jog with it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it gave a whole new freedom to the beach, really, for Lily, um, because, uh, you know, it's just something I would have avo- avoided, really. Yeah, um, yeah it is very messy with the wheelchair. Um, in terms, then, of the water, can it go into the water a little bit? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. We were able to, you know, I suppose, paddle, in yeah. a way. Um, we were able to jump the waves as, as such, you know, and she was able to experience the water and around her toes. Um, and her little sister, or her, her big little sister, as I call her, Katie, uh, bought them. They were they had to kind of jump the waves like we all would have done back in the day. Brilliant. Um, and, you know, it just, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. So that one now, is down at the Warringer. And are there any more of those around the county? As far as I know, it's the only one. Okay. Um, and and it's managed down there by the lifeguards who are absolutely excellent. They'll give you all the assistance uh, that you need. Um, and basically, that there's a local pitch and put club that adjoins the strand. You you just go up to them. You can book it for an hour, uh, sign it out, and and you know the world is your oyster after that along the beach. Um, you know, it was great. No, absolutely I, fab. Yeah, look, it was, it was excellent. And, and I have Katie here standing next to me. She, she's mad to have a quick chat with Great stuff. Put her on there. Just, just, just to tell you what she thought of it, um, being able to get out there with her sister, I suppose. Great. Hi, Katie. Hi. It was nice to run the waves with my sister because I didn't think I could do that before because she has a wheelchair herself and... She wouldn't be able to go down to the beach in the wheelchair. And the beach wheelchair is just brilliant. And we love it. And we went down to the beach and we had fun for an hour. Brilliant. And was the water cold? Yeah, a little bit. I say she's a different for the splashing, is she? Yeah. <laughs> So, I suppose, as they say, that's, that's from the motor babes. Um, you know, it just not only was it a great experience for Lily, um, obviously it was great for Katie as yeah. well, who, you know, doesn't get to do all the regular things normally that you would with your big sister. So um, we'll certainly be travelling back down there again. Brilliant. Um, but uh, I suppose looking at the, the various comments that went up on Twitter after I, I posted it, um, I thought it was important to post it and leave other people know about it. Yeah. Um, and the general feeling, I suppose, out there is that maybe Cork County Council would, would look at introducing it uh, into other beaches um, around, around the, the coastline. And I think, um, you know, it would be greatly appreciated and valued yeah, by, by sure anybody, anybody who has uh, a disability, you yeah. know. Ger, the Warren Strand down there, is there a disabled bathroom there? That, no, I'm not sure, Dee, to be honest mm. with you. Um, I, I'd imagine there's probably the use of something in... Um, 
in the pitch and puck club, we di- we didn't need to use it. Yeah. Um, so I, I I couldn't tell you to be quite honest with mm. you. Because I was up in I was saying there earlier on air I was on uh, up in County Clare uh, last week and I was really really impressed actually that the facilities at Spanish Point and at La Hinch as well they have fully accessible toilets um, right there to be really clean modern ones and they're actually attended in Lehinch, which I've never seen before there was council workers actually there um, where the you know the ordinary ladies and gents toilets each have a wheelchair toilet in them um, so they're kind of fully accessible and I, I, I haven't seen that at any beach I think in County Cork Yeah I, I couldn't put my hand on it for myself I suppose um, Lily is going on nine actually this Friday um, and it is it is getting harder mm. to uh, to get her to, to get her changed and things like that yeah um, and it is always a consideration now for us uh, anywhere we go you know where where can we go um, she's a little bit big now to be just changing her uh, you know out in public yeah. type of a thing um, but I suppose the the norm for me now is the back of the back of the jeep. Yeah. Um, I lay her down the boot kind of thing on on a blanket and and uh, change her that way. You know, it's just it just it's easier. But look, we're we're due to go back to the Warren again this week. Um, to, back for to the birthday. Spin. So what I'll do is I'll I'll touch base with you and I let you know what do. the the toileting facilities are like down there. Um, but it's it's an extremely busy area. Um, it was absolutely chock a block there yesterday trying to get in and out of it. Um, but in fairness, I have to say, people, believe it or not, in their family groups were completely spaced out across yeah. the strand. It yeah. was great to see, and the various vendors down there that had had food and, and drinks for sale. Likewise, everything was done exactly as you'd expect it to. So it was great to see that as well. Brilliant. That's great to hear. Jar, thanks a million for that and thanks Katie for filling us in. Um, well done to Cork County Council. They never get any praise, the councils. So uh, credit where it's due. That's a really lovely initiative um, and great to, to kids especially and obviously there's loads of adults in wheelchairs who would really appreciate that too. But um, for a kid to be able to go and splash around in the water with her sister, that's priceless and that's a priceless memory for all of them. Um, speaking of summer activities and summer times, of course, all the summer gigs are off because of COVID-19 but we do have the next best thing. Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman, your specialist in sound this summer, is playing all the songs from all the artists that we would have seen and featuring loads of virtual live music sets. Check it out on 96fm.ie or on the 96fm app. And uh, I don't think one of those artists was Britney Spears, but nonetheless, I will be discussing her in a few minutes. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. So there's a type of legal... Um, protection in the US called a conservatorship, which is often... Um, given maybe to people who are suffering from dementia or something like that. But the pop singer Britney Spears has actually been under conservatorship since 2008. Uh, people will remember her very public breakdown. She was in hospital. Um, she had shaved her head. I think everyone remembers that. That was the really big the big um, uh, red flag, I guess. And her father has maintained control of her finances until 2019 when her father resigned. And now it's her manager, Jodie Montgomery. So they've legal and financial control of her and they draw $1.1 million in and fees for their services annually. Conservatorships are typically reserved, this is according to Forbes, for individuals in a coma or with severe mental illness. 
But throughout her 12-year conservatorship, Britney Spears has released four albums, done a four-year, $140 million Las Vegas performance residency, launched fashion and fragrance products and judged The X Factor. But under the terms of what she's living in, she can't drive a car, vote, get married, have children, spend her own money, speak publicly about the conservatorship and more. That's according to the pop culture watchdog Diet Prada. That is kind of mad. Claude Haywood, you're a big Britney fan. I always was. <laughs> and I mean, she's, she, as, as this says, she has released albums, she's performing. So outwardly, it looks like she's living. But in her personal daily life, it seems like she can't really do anything. No, she doesn't seem to have any freedom. She seems to be their little puppet and she has no say over her own life, but yet she's still made work and do all these things. And I don't know, do you follow her on social media? It's actually, she does seem to have no life at all. She's always in her house. She always is alone. She seems really like a lost soul, you know? I mean, she has all her rights taken away from her. It's really shocking, actually, to read this because, look, I know we're all familiar with, um, I suppose, a situation like hers when she had the breakdown. It was so public and I think a lot of people would have said, oh, and we know what's going to happen next year. We know how this is going to go. I mean, we would have seen the likes of maybe Amy Winehouse and other kind of really famous uh, people who had very bad situations with their mental health and it kind of inevitably goes one way. I mean, to a point, could this be saving her life? Um, I think, yes, she definitely needs some sort of help. But I think what they're doing is actually making the situation worse for her because obviously she's suffering with her mental health. She saw she's gone through a very hard life and was pushed and pulled as a young child. Mm. But I don't think what they're doing is helping her overall. It's giving her more issues. Apparently, she's been forced to take the medications that are prescribed to her without her having any freedom to consult another doctor. And you see on her social, sometimes she does seem like she's heavily dosed with drugs. You know, yeah. her eyes look lost. It's like she's blank in her eyes. And I just think that she's got no way of escaping her situation. What they're doing isn't helping her. They should be helping her get better, but they're only using her for her money, but not helping her situation mentally. It doesn't look like. Yeah, I mean, you would imagine, like we all watch loads of American courtroom dramas, and you would imagine that the the constitutional freedoms in the US would would allow her to at least legally challenge this. But I suppose she'd have to be in some kind of a fit state to do that. Exactly, and if they're keeping her on these drugs where she's kind of... I suppose, really spaced out of it all the time, then she probably isn't thinking clearly. And apparently she can't choose her own lawyers either. So the lawyers are on the side of the person paying the the bill, which isn't Brittany. Yeah. I mean, the so obviously it's her, the, the two people involved here, her father and her manager. Um, I seem to remember her mother being her manager years ago. Um, what happened there with the parents? Do they not have any dealings with each other? No, I think they still, I mean, I'm not 100%. I mean, I love Britney, but I don't know her life inside and out. But mm. I think there was a breakup there between the two of them when Britney was quite small because I think the mother pushed her right. to be famous and the father wanted her to have more of a childhood. And I think there was a falling out there because they pulled her from living from, you know, caravans to hotel rooms to, for auditions. And I think the relationship broke up there. So I don't think they've been married a long time. Yeah. But I didn't realise that Britney had fallen out with her mother. 
Yeah, it's and you kind of wonder then about that because this week her mother has filed for special notice of her daughter's financial activity in all matters pertaining to her daughter's trust. So that means she could act as a watchdog in case the the dad and this conservator, the manager, are up to anything nefarious. And obviously, of course, we've no evidence that they are. We we could this could totally be um, something that that is just being speculated on by people online. But the likes of Miley Cyrus um, and Rose McGowan, who was really really central to the Me Too movement, have. Um, rallied behind this movement they seem to be very concerned about it Yeah and I think anybody who isn't concerned you know should think about it because they've just taken all their rights away from a girl that is clearly sane enough to work her back her back off behind off and can be on social media and can do all those things that benefit them I think they think that once she's alive she's okay but you know it's how in how in America, where it's the land of the free, and she's famous, and she's all over social, and everybody who watches her videos are concerned about her. How did that let happen in America or anywhere like Ireland or the UK? Or I can't I can't imagine yeah. that it would be allowed to go on anywhere else. Somebody who is so famous, she's all she's like. I mean, she's like a slave to the conservatorship now because. Yeah. She can't even spend her own money. You know, she's doing all this and it just breaks my heart when I look at her because I think, God, she had it all and now it's all been taken away from her and nobody is helping her except for people like us with her free Britney movement. Although yeah. we're, they're only hashtags, but still it's getting some attention and hopefully it helps her. Yeah, the Mail Online had a piece about it as well and apparently more than 100,000 fans have even petitioned the White House urging for Spears' emancipation. Well, now that could just make a bad situation worse. Imagine Donald Trump wading into the middle of this. Well, he's a powerful man. Maybe he'll do some good in his presidency. Maybe. That could be the one achievement of the Trump presidency. (laughs) Oh my God, it actually just gets more ridiculous. But actually, when I I thought of, I think I mentioned Whitney Houston there a minute ago, it actually sounds a bit like poor Whitney. I mean, she was performing and she was out and about and she was, you know, professionally um, visible all the time. But of course, we know now that she was very unhappy and on a lot of medications and on a lot of illegal drugs as well. And I suppose you just never know the story behind the performer, you? You don't. Somebody could be smiling in front of you, but you don't really know what's going on in anybody's lives. Mm. Claude, thanks for that. It's, I have no to problem. say now, a totally new one on me. Thank you. Um, the hash, hashtag Free Britney. So if you look at that hashtag on any of your social media platforms, you'll find um, more about that. <coughs> Excuse me, a bit of a frog in my throat. It's, yeah, that's very, um, a very disturbing story altogether. Um, I just want to mention... Diane has been in touch just wondering could you help me my mum lost her wallet Saturday evening she rang me crying she was so upset this morning I had a missed call from a lovely girl Susan working in Lloyd's Pharmacy in Middleton saying a lovely man called Dan, Dan O'Driscoll from the city was with her and he had my mum's wallet his son found it on the bus and they drove down to Middleton this morning to try and get it back to my mum we can't believe the kindness of these two amazing gentlemen and we were wondering could you help us with thanking them thanks a million Diane consider it done Diane well done to Dan O'Driscoll and to his son that was lovely Lovely, really nice thing to do, and obviously they're delighted with you. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996 On Court's 96FM. Some good news for you today. The Kino is reopening the live music venue. Joe Kelly from the Kino, how are you? How are you doing? Not too well, bad. What, is it Friday or reopening? 
we're opening on Friday. We the last band we had on uh, what was it uh, March seventh? Seems an eternity ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, local band of local musicians called the Tan Jacket. So they were the last band on, and we just thought, do you know what? We'll start again with them. Now, in saying that, the last time there was 170, 180 people, as in we were formerly licensed for two hundred people. Mm. This time there'll be forty people plus staff there, so we're staying under the fifty limit, and it'll be a sit-down gig. Obviously, we're not doing stand-ups because they're just too hard to marshal, you know. So. Yeah, uh, will that pay you, Joe? Or are you going to have to increase the ticket price? Um, well, for example, when we did the Tan Jackets last time, it was a free show. So okay. I think for, you know, what we're trying to do is be as fair to uh, all the musicians and say, look, if you're to get paid properly, we're going to have to charge. So we'll say Tan Jackets was €12 Euros plus, but what we're doing is we're selling a table. So in other words, that you can have a table of two, three, four and five but, uh, you know, we only have a number of two tables, a number of three, four, etc. So put it like this, not at the, the start. Now, to be fair, our landlord's very being decent about it and the fact mm. that effectively we're operating on 20% capacity relative to where we were. But in saying that, you know, I can see the model going forward will be, for example, the night later with Junior Brother, a guy from Kerry, yeah. who's um, really interesting. So he sold out so quickly, we've done a double show. Great. Now, that works as well because, you know, being honest with you, there isn't a lot of guidelines with regard, um, which we are. We could have opened two weeks ago. We chose not to. We just said, look, we'll wait until the bars reopened. Joe, I'm uh, going to have to stop you there. It's great news, but I'm out of time. Thank you very much for that. 